Okay. Does that mean we're going to get some uh, <laughs> Jigun undressing action going on, Guillermo? Oh, yeah, yes! Yeah, yeah. Cowards! Cowards! <laughs> it did not show his whole body! Cowards! He takes off his hat, so there is that. <laughs> yeah, it's the equivalent of him getting in the nude, you know. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> he seems like the type to have sex with his clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> These assumptions we're making about poor Tetsuji Tamayama. Not Tetsuji Tamayama! Oh my god, no! <laughs> Is this going to be the cold open? That's my question. <laughs> it's not cold. Is that it's going to be the cold open? Yeah, it's the hot open. Yeah. It's hot. Yes. Vegans are never nude. I, I mean, he was nude in that one, one episode, part two episode where they took a photo of him showering, I believe. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite, actually. Anime. With the most twink-looking ass ever. Oh, this is 100% going to be how this episode opens. <laughs> you could say we're starting off with a bang. Uh, joining us tonight is Dan Dunn. Wait, wait a minute. Oh, I mean, Lee Sparks. Hey. Hey, Drew. Hey, everybody. How's it going? How's it going? Also joining us, Jeff. Je- no, no, Emma. Emma. Hi. <laughs> kind of odd spelling there. Also joining us is uh, Laficelle. Wait a minute. Hold on. I need to get a little closer look at this. Guillaume. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Hello, it's me. And also joining us is, uh, hold on, that Daisuke Dimension. Wait, no, wait, I'm sorry, Natalie. I'll get it right in a minute, y'all. Just bear with me. <laughs> Hello from the other side. <laughs> and leading the pack today is your wonderful co-host, Jigen. I mean, hold on, I'll get it right in a minute. Jigen Drew. Ah, okay, yeah, sorry, That's, I shouldn't. I should probably know my own name. We're getting off to a great start here. And uh, welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a loop on the third podcast, a podcast about a monkey faced thief, his frit. Well, it's usually about that. But tonight is about a snazzily dressed hatted gunman, his trusty sidearm and their many adventures. Right. And obviously tonight we are joined once again by our man in Switzerland, Guillaume, able to join us again. Hello. Becoming a more frequent occasion. Yay. I, I, I like this trend. <laughs> oh, oh, so do I. <laughs> and also joining us, as mentioned, is the man behind Lupin Central himself. The one and only Lee Sparks. Yay. Oh, wow. Fanfare. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I was actually trying to do that one DJ thing, you know, the... Oh, I like I'm, it. Yes. I'm, bad. Yeah, I'm super... Air horn. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am super bad at, at sound effects. This is why I will never be a Foley artist. <laughs> oh, no, you're great. We don't need a soundboard, Natalie. We've got you. It's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me on again, guys. I really do appreciate it. It's an honor to be back on the show. We are delighted to have you back on again. And uh, it, it makes sense. A, first and foremost, you're a cool person. Wonderful to have on the show, full of insight. And also, this is the second surprise Amazon Prime Lupin release this year. We had you for the first one, so I figured, hey, what a good opportunity. I feel like I'm the Amazon Prime subscription of this podcast or something <laughs> like that. Like Every time there's an Amazon show, I'll be on. Uh, oh, my uh, goodness. But- Maybe yeah, it's a new show on Prime. Got good leave. Yeah, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should get more. I'd be up for that. I agree. Uh. <laughs> I agree. Well, we are down one man this evening. Unfortunately, the amazing Chris Godby is away at a bachelor party, having the time of his life. And uh, we'll speak for both him and his mom briefly during the review portion of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just let you know, Chris. Hey, how's it going? We miss you. You are sorely missed indeed. He didn't die. He's alive. We got to do the most. I mean, I feel like Jigen would not waste good liquor, but I'm from the Bay Area, you know, pour it out for some homies right here. So. Jigen <laughs> like he's dead. Like I can still hear his voice. <laughs> in, mem- in memory of the amazing Chris Godby. Quit telling people he's dead. Oh my god. <laughs> Gone too soon. He's he's oh, I'm not even. <laughs> uh, well, we might as well jump straight into it. So, on this episode of Sideburns and Cigarettes, we follow our favorite bearded gunman in his first live action solo film. Daisuke Jigen. Or as it's referred to on Amazon Prime and everywhere else and by TMS as Jigen Daisuke. It, I, I, I was conflicted about this because I wanted to refer to a title by the way the title is, you know, it shows up on everything. But the way Japanese names translate to English, Jigen is not his given name. That's his surname. And well, we reached out to our many followers, 75 of which who... uh <laughs> participated in a poll and we are referring to this film as Daisuke Jigen or I can be a real real stinker and use that used them both interchangeably throughout this episode much to the frustration of all of our all of our listeners but we are speaking about Jigen Daisuke 2023 which premiered on Amazon Prime on October 13th Uh, it was directed by Hajime Hashimoto who's directed a, a number of uh, films and television, a lot of television credits uh, for everyone I'll be mentioning tonight, but I'm going to just mostly focus on their film credits since this is a uh, a movie. He directed films such as New Battles Without Honor and Humanity, Murder, Detective in the Bar and its sequel, and Hokusai. The film was written by Yoshimasa Akumatsu, who wrote AD Girl, Things She Must Do Tomorrow, Get My Revenge, and Corpse Party. The music was composed by James Shimoji, who uh, did the music for Party 7, Redline, and of course, the Takeshi Koike Lupin the Third films, or Lupin the Third films. Uh, sorry, my mistake. Uh, obviously, Jigen's Gravestone, Goemon's Blood Spray, and Fujiko's Lie. And uh, I will bring up some of the other 
crew members as we go on, because I didn't want you know just be endlessly listing names. But some more people involved with the film will be mentioned as we get further into the show. Some really interesting stuff. But we'll jump to the uh, the main cast. We have Tetsuji Tamayama as Daisuke Jigen, who starred in films such as Nana, Goemon, and Aijin Demihuman. And of course, he played the role of Daisuke Jigen in Lupin the Third, the 2014 live action film reprising the role nine years later, and it was it's great to see him again. We have Mitsuko Kusabue as Chiharu Yaguchi, and she is a prolific actor with a career spanning back to 1942, which is awesome. Uh, starred in films such as Samurai Pirate, or its original title, The Lost World of Sinbad, Yearning, and The Inugami Family, also its 2006 remake. Both were directed by the uh, the same man Konichikawa and uh the first the, the original version of the film has a wonderful score by one Yuji Ono lots of little connections going on here that, that soundtrack is incredible god i wish i could watch that movie i hope someone li- i hope someone licenses like licenses license i can speak hope someone acquires it a distributor and then releases it on home media we have Kotoka Maki as Oto Mizusawa their only other credit currently is the 2023 series Burn the House Down. Then we have Yoko Maki as Adele, who starred in Battle Royale 2 Requiem, the American remake of The Grudge, uh, and After the Storm. We also have Masatoshi Nagase as Takeshi Kawashima, who starred in films such as Mystery Train, Party 7, and Suicide Club. We have Honami Sato as Ruri who uh, she has more credits in TV than film with a uh, TV credit such as daughter of Lupin. Hey, uh, Alice and Alice in Borderland, but she's also starred in a few films. Notably, she was the co-lead in the film, a ride or die, which also starred Yoko Maki. Before we get into the film, I will give the synopsis according to Amazon prime. Let me, let me read this wonderful piece of work to all of you feeling unhappy with his gun. Jigen is looking for the world's best gunsmith. He finally finds out that Chiharu, who runs a watch shop, is the person he's been seeking. Then, Jigen meets Oto, who comes to Chiharu's shop looking for a gun. Jigen finds out about Oto's secrets and the mysterious organization that's after her. After Oto is kidnapped, Jigen gets into a desperate battle to save her. Boy, what a what a lovely synopsis. That's just... They make it sound so exciting, don't they? That's so, crazy. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just jumping with excitement. Oh yeah, you ju- you just read that and instantly you're just like, yeah, I'm pumped. Let's do <laughs> Let's this. Go. Let's go. More energy, time. more energy, more energy, <laughs> more passion. I do remember when it first went up. I'm pretty sure they mistranslated a bunch of that as well. Like, oh, what you just read out, Drew, sounded like at least coherent. It made sense. But when the film mm-hmm. like immediately went live, I remember looking at the Amazon listing and being like, this just doesn't make any grammatical sense whatsoever so it sounds Uh like they at least did a pass over it Mm -hmm. but you know still i'm not they're not going to be winning any writing awards with with that uh piece of work if only they did another pass over the title that would have been nice And now we will hop into our roundtable discussion, um, uh, our first impressions. Uh, Lee, how did you feel about Jigen Daisuke? 
Uh, you mean Daisuke Jiro? Oh, no, sorry, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this film, right? Because when this got announced originally a few months ago, I couldn't help be. I think I'm just getting old, a little bit cynical whenever I see mm. stuff, like that, and I'm thinking, uh, do we do we really need another live action film? Um, I know some people love the 2014 live action Lupin film, and that's that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. I think the actors were great. They played the characters well. Uh, the music was pretty, like, okay. I wasn't too hot on the theme uh, of the film, despite it being the Kill Bill guy, I think, that did the guitar. Uh, oh. On that. Yeah, I remember that being quite an exciting thing. But, uh, yeah, it didn't quite live up to my expectations there. But I just thought that the writing and the pacing of that film was completely off. I just couldn't enjoy mm. it for those reasons, really. Um, but thankfully this new Jigen film didn't have any of those problems, in my opinion. I fucking loved it, uh, to mm. be completely honest with you. <laughs> I went in thinking, maybe I'll get like you know a little bit of enjoyment out of this, and I came out of it thinking, this is probably one of the best Lupin works that I personally have seen in the past decade or two. Mm. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't know if it's just because of going in with slightly cooler expectations, or if it genuinely is just like an absolutely banging film. That's why I'm really excited to hear your opinions too. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. Um, the pacing was good. Obviously, you know, the main cast are where, in my opinion, the film really shines. Like, they're all fantastic. Everybody you mentioned, Drew, but then, of course, the side cast as well. I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the little shopping community, they really help bring a little bit of humour, a little bit of, like, you know, uh, good nature to what is, like, quite a dark storyline in places. Mm. Um, there's a few uh, very brave camera shots in that film, I would say. Uh, there's one in particular, I don't want to skip too far ahead, um, where we see some body bags. Uh, I know we haven't spoken about the, the plot, but mm. obviously it's, I, I guess we should say spoilers. There might be some spoilers discussed in this podcast. Oh, right? yes, absolutely. If anyone's listening to this, please go watch this movie first because we're going to we're going to dive right into it. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Definitely. Definitely come back, though. I'm sure we've got some good mm. points. Uh, yeah, and it is fantastic. It's worth watching. But yes, so the loose sort of broad kind of plot is that there are people in the Japanese kind of underworld uh, that are using children to create a drug. They're sort of extracting hormones and blood from what I could gather um, from sort of essentially traumatized kids and using that to create this sort of drug that prevents aging. And it, yeah, it's as dark as it sounds, really. There's a little bit of goofiness to it. Like when you see sort of, you know, Obviously, the film wasn't shot on the highest budget, and it does feel a little bit like a straight television film, I have to say. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple of moments in there where I was like, oh, it's going there. It's kind of like it's showing us literal, like, essentially dead children, which Mm -hmm. is crazy to me. But I didn't feel like it was done distastefully. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds a little bit flippant to say, um, (laughs) but you know what I mean? It's like... It made sense in the context of the film, and it felt like it was a really good way of having Jigen show lots of emotion and go through things that he doesn't tend to usually do in the typical Lupin story. Like We have seen some mm-hmm. great Jigen moments in the past, but really making use of live action and the actor, facial expressions, him sort of like upset about what's happening and really sort of wanting to resolve it and get on board, like, you know, uh, helping Otto and kind of going and storming up the tower. Um, I really enjoyed that. And it's just, you know, it is a real sort of 
credit to uh, Tamiyama's acting as well uh, as Jigen. I think he absolutely nailed it. I mean, he did back in 2014, but he's slightly older now. Apparently, he sat and watched the Koike films before acting this film. Um, in this film, I should say, which does show uh, he sort of got mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that air about him. Um, but yeah, he really, really does help push this film along. But yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to end. Um, I do think that the biggest point of contention it might have for people is that it is a bit darker than the mm. 2014 one uh, and much darker than the 1974 one, of course, which is amazing <laughs> in its own right. Uh, Amen. Yeah, such a fun film. Like that is absolutely worth watching too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, and some, some of the action as well, like really blew me away. Again, it didn't feel super high budget, but they did try those again, brave camera shots where, for example, throwing the barrel down, and then Jigen's like jumping behind the barrel, rolling along the floor, keeping in cover. It felt like mm-hmm. such a typical nonsensical Lupin like moment. But mm-hmm. it worked in live action, and I think that's something they should be should be proud of. And I really enjoyed watching all of those moments. I think somebody mentioned that it had the combat designer from Devil May Cry or something working on the film. I heard. Yes, is that correct? Yes, that is uh, the action coordinator in this film was Kinsuke Sonomura, who was the, he's done stunt work. He did stunt work for Devil May Cry Three: Dante's Awakening. He was the action coordinator for Devil May Cry 4. He was the, let me make sure I'm getting this correct, the fight choreographer for Metal Gear Solid 4. Also the action coordinator for the new Resident Evil 3 remake, um, among a lot of action films. Let's see, Alice in Borderland, Baby Assassins, Kingdom. Just a really prolific career over the, like, he's mostly... 2004 is when his career started and he's just been moving up and it has that feel to it. And there's some real good content in there. Like mm-hmm. pretty much all of those things you just mentioned drew are fantastic. Like the action in Devil May Cry in Metal Gear has always been, you know, top of the top of the class in my opinion. And mm-hmm. you can tell like again even though it must have been shot on a slightly lower budget, you can really tell that they have somebody with that level of experience behind those action scenes. And it did also feel quite video gamey. Um, mm-hmm. Like moments where you know he's shooting grenades out of guards' hands and shooting through a concrete <laughs> wall pillar to get you know the guard that's sort of cowering behind it. Um, very sort of like those video game uh, kind of that, that era, that sort of like style of action. Um, but I really enjoyed that. I thought it fit the movie well, and it had a very good balance of those really high intense moments and just those nice character moments, like I mentioned earlier, with like the shopping community and in the watch shop and yeah, just brilliantly paced. So I can only just keep singing its praises. I really, really did like it. I think in the review that I wrote for it, I gave out a, I gave a nine out of 10 for it. Mm. And I sort of stick by that. Um, it just, to me, it sat perfectly along, alongside those Lupin, the third third Koiki films. Uh, it felt like a slight extension to that. And that might be because obviously James Samoji did the soundtrack and he did such a good job. Um, it really, it really sort of fit that, uh, that sub, um, what would you call it? Like a, I don't know, spin-off, uh, spin-off series. But yeah, I'll definitely be watching it again at some point. It's left that good an impression on me. Nice. Very nice. And now, Natalie, how did you feel about Daisuke Jigen? Oh, you, you mean Dimension Daisuke? Oh, I'm no, gonna, I, mean, I mean, no, I mean Jigen Daisuke. 
<laughs> Sorry, I have to keep doing that because, you know, for the lulls, every time, um, at least for me, when I was trying to, like, read the transcripts of the interview with Akio Otsuka and uh, Tatsuji Tamayama before the film came out, um, you know, my my Google thing was always like, I mentioned this, I mentioned that. I'm like, no, I'm tired of this, whatever. It's, an, it's a fucking amazing film. And, like, you know me, if I really love something and I'm singing its praises, I'm just, like, super ecstatic super happy um i will full disclosure um i'm like a huge fan of westerns because my grand my late grandfather um was a really big john wayne fan so i grew up with my grandfather watching old old italian films mafia films and westerns so i was kind of like cemented to like a genre film like this already but also i i, I talk about how i don't need trigger warnings for anything but i do like dark edgy stuff like I'm a huge like I mean this I'm a huge fan of Sons of Anarchy like I've met the actors I've been to conventions with actual like Hells Angels and other motorcycle club guys who were like just super enthusiastic about this show and I just remember for many years when um that show was on its you know running through the seasons um because it's set in a criminal underworld I always thought like if Lupin the Third ever got edgy they could do something like this. And wouldn't you know it, we get something like that all uh, nine years after the 2014 live action film. And and it does work because again, as much as we love the loop, the lovable, fun Lupin gang, they are criminals. They, they do criminal things, they, they be dirty. So I love it. And like you drew, I did rewatch the 2014 film um, <laughs> this week. <laughs> and the reason why I bring this up is because um, to me, there's two parts of me that have con that ha that have feelings with that film. 12 year old me who was a big fan of Lupin the third and wrote fan fiction a lot does like it. But adult me who wants action heists, a really good car chase scene and less exposition and to, not an OOC character like Michael Lee um, mm. hated it. But the franchise thing, favorite. Yeah, franchise favorite. <laughs> but the thing I did enjoy about it was um, the casting of Tetsuji Tamayama, predominantly the casting of Tetsuji Tamayama as um, Jigen and I can't remember her name, the one who played Fujiko. Um, Ooh, hold up. <laughs> Mesa Kuroki. Yeah, like those were perfectly cast. And then Tamayama especially because, you know, he he looks like how Jigen would look like as a live person. Um, from from the way he walks and, and stances all cool to the outfits, to um, his mannerisms and the way he holds the gun and his speech. Like, holy shit, I love, I, 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 I'm not a Jigen stan. I love writing Jigen, but I'm not a Jigen stan. And it's like, oh, that just warped my development. <laughs> and and so for him to come back in this film was just like, okay, you know, um, I, I, I didn't need an excuse to be horny on main for Jigen, but I guess now I have one. But jokes aside, going back to what I love about it, it's very much a Western story. It follows the trope of, as my dear roommate, Robbie said, um, badass and baby that we've been seeing lately with or the lone wolf and cub, the lone wolf and cub sort of thing that we see currently in stuff like The Mandalorian. Heck, I even rewatched some of those films like True Grit um, to remember what I loved about Westerns and this genre. But also 
to the rest of the film. I'm sorry, I have a lot. I could talk about its phrases, all, all of it, in terms of what I personally enjoy about it. But um, the character of Chiaru, like, oh god, I want, I want to be this lady when I grow up. Like, I want to be, I want to be a badass old woman when I grow up. She's like, so cool, isn't she? Oh, she's so like. I was watching I, the times I watched the film, and it got to the climax of it. I was just very much like, please don't kill this woman. Please don't kill I this know. woman. And then, and then, and then she lives, and I'm like, fuck yeah. Mm. and then of course um the moments that jigen has with oto just like tugged in my heartstrings like Mm. um there's been moments where jigen is around children and he's kind of just like oh kids like like he says in the movie i don't like kids they're loud (laughs) it's okay jigen i don't like i want kids but i don't like kids either they're loud they're disgusting (laughs) they're walkable they're little ticky time bombs of germs i get it (laughs) but um the moments he has with Oto and the sincerity behind the moments, this is the kind of thing you can't get from animation where we joke a lot, especially in our reviews that like anytime we watch something where Jigen's eyes are not visible, <laughs> budget cuts, you don't get that emotionality. <laughs> we got some of it with the CGI film and, uh, and not as much in the 2014 film because Jigen's just, I'm sorry to say this, but Jigen's just there. And I mean, I can only think of like the, the one quarter of a second that he and Goemon fight because he's like, oh, guns are better than swords. Okay, okay, Revy from Black Lagoon, we get it. But um, when we get to Jigen having the raw emotionality and, and the moments where he just looks like he's about to cry, I was literally mm. like, oh my God, give Jigen more emotions, please. Like that was literally my reaction while I was watching it at home. And then... The rest of it is just the action scenes. For a film that had a way less of a budget than the 2014 film, how did that film have way more fucking action than the shit 2014 film? Someone someone please explain this to me like I'm fucking five years old. Like for <laughs> reals, man. And also we got it I gotta talk real quick about my girl Adele. You know. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please 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 put Adele oh, music here because that's all I Oh. <laughs> Please we put some Adele there. music here because that's all the puns I made with this woman. She be she be serving real Anna Wintour vibes um, with that haircut. But every single time she's gonna come up, you're just gonna hear Borat in the back. <laughs> My wife. My wife. <laughs> for, forget my wife for a second and just like. I have to talk about this as um, a chronically ill person. Um, handicap representation. And this was a thing that was going around on mm. Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I love really niche, weird foreign films. There's a film I love to recommend to people. It's called, it's from Hungary. It's called Kills on Wheels. And and it's it's a film where a bunch of people in wheelchairs are like assassins. It's a really great film. I mean, if you're like me and you love weird foreign films, watch it. But the choreography that we had with Adele and the fighting scenes, like, come on, Hollywood, you cannot not put handicapped people in action films. You know, mm-hmm. we we can fight too. I, I mean, I'm not handicapped, I'm just chronically ill, but we, we, we're we not weak, okay? We may need times where we gotta lie down because our blood sugar is super low, but we, we ain't weak. And then, of course, um, her assistant, who was a very monkey punch-like villain, mm-hmm. um, looking like a motherfucking faceless man from Game of Thrones, <laughs> just like changing faces all over. 
Um, oh God, like I could talk, I could talk about this film on end, but, oh, and, and of course I have to give a shout out to Jigen's eating habits. I love how they're addressed. <laughs> I love how they're addressed in this because like I was, the second time I watched it, I watched it with my roommate Maria and her husband, Robbie. I live with them. And Robbie was just like in the background doing his own thing. And Maria was just comment cause she watches a lot of Lupin stuff with me. She's like, finally they're addressing, uh, Jigen's really bad eating habits. And my roommate, my other roommate, Robbie. <laughs> Who does know about Lupin's like, wait, what? Uh, what do you mean? And, and Maria's like, dude, um, no, like, honey, um, those men eat like it's the last meal of their lives. And someone's finally calling them out on it. I'm like, yep. <laughs> but let me just summarize the way some other people can talk because I feel like I've just been rambling and believe it or not. Ramble. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I didn't even write notes. I just had this like locked in my brain. Ramble away. Since honey. I watched this film. And I will also admit, um, in a personal note, I've been having a really hard time for the past couple months to the point where it stalled my inspiration for anything. And partially this film brought it back that I started writing my more to my Lupin fix and my Jigen one off and some other stuff that I will not disclose because um, it's horny, but whatever. <laughs> Um, but to finalize, um, this film just hit every note of things that I like. And honestly, we need more stuff like this. If this is very much in the vein of being part of the uh, Koike universe, because it's very much in the vein of Koike, please, dear God, do, do it more. Um, I had to have this many conversation with my roommate, Robbie, because he's a big One Piece fan. And he really did enjoy the Netflix um, live action One Piece. And I've always been in this vein that like... I've always had this mentality of you can't really do um, live action adaptations of animated mediums because animated mediums have the suspension of disbelief and they can get away with so much that live action trying to be gritty and real can't. And I think that's why it was the crux of the 2014 film, aside from the really bad writing and all the other things they were trying to put into it. But with the Jigen film, you're focusing on someone who like I mentioned earlier, could fit in a universe like Sons of Anarchy or Mayans or The Sopranos. And this is, aside from the like weird tactics of movement with the gun and whatnot, this could be very much believable. And it's very much, back to my obsession with niche foreign films, it's very much in the vein of some Iranian grindhouse films. And on that par, um, aside from Kills on Wheels, to all our faithful listeners, if you want to watch more films in this vein and do enjoy something like Grindhouse, that's not Tarantino or Robert Rodriguez, I do recommend um, uh, director Babak Anvari's um, Iranian horror film Under the Shadow and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, th that's a, oh, I could talk about those on hours. Like, Thank I. You. I, I'm a goth, okay? I love horror films, and I love foreign anything. Give me give me that shit. And the Jigen film just fit that for me. Okay, I am done. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, look at me. Look at me. I'm glowing. <laughs> That's how I felt just talking about it there. It is just so exciting to let this out <sighs> and to, to speak about this song because it's so good. I do also just want to say, you were talking there about doing more in this vein and then the Quaker thing. Ryohai Suzuki as Zenigata in that 2017 series. He was so good. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to no shade on Tanobo Asano, but I think I pl mm -hmm. played him in the mm -hmm. But oh my God. If he, if they got him back for a, sort of another Amazon Prime spin off film, I could die happy. He was so good in that. <laughs> I think he would nail it. It'd be so fun. 
Oh, I, yes. I, I, um, the last quip I'll add to that is when I rewatched the 2014 film and just loved the casting. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't mention, um, excuse me, I'm sorry I did not mention Zenigata, but Zenigata was well cast in that too, despite the mm. fact that he did some very un Zenigata like things um, in the 2014 film. Oh. But either way, he made it work. Um, he, he caught the vein of Zenigata. He even had the same scream and yell. And then when you watch the television series, he, where it's completely separate from Lupin, but it's still the same character, he still keeps that. And it's like, that was perfect casting right there. Like, again, to Rhea to Kitamura's credit, and I guess to the production of the 2014 film, Casting the main five, um, I do have my a little bit of my reservations with uh, Guayano as Guaymon, but that's more about how they wrote him. Yeah, they did not falter with that casting. Like that casting mm-hmm. was very well done. And it shows, again, with this film, with Tetsuji Tamayama as Jigen. So there, I, I, I'm fucking done. <laughs> so, Guillaume, how do you feel about... Daisuke Jigen. Well, it's um, it's quite difficult to pass after Lee and Natalie because they've pretty much summed up um, a lot of what I you know feel about the movie because I truly share the general appreciation. It's it's a breath of fresh air. Honestly, we live a time in the franchise that I would call the unexpected times. Mm. Like we got an announcement about um, a traditional Japanese theater adaptation. Um, Before that, we had an unexpected crossover that was quite underwhelming, let's be honest. So, and and Mm -hmm. we had kind of a prequel series with Lupin Zero that was a wonderful surprise. So we live unexpected times. So everything, everything goes. And I have to admit that like Lee, I was skeptical at first. I've, uh, I'm terribly sorry. I, I grew very jaded and cynical when it comes to the cinema, um, you know, industry to the movie industry in general. And I was like, are they going to do a John Wick knockoff with Jigen? And I was like, Guillaume, remember, this whole franchise is a knockoff <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> By by what I mean by that is that it started as a parody uh, infused but with many different influences into a blender. And what we like about Lupin and the characters, you can put them in almost every situation, in every context, and apparently in any medium, it bloody works. It bloody works. Uh, it can be bad, it can be good, but it's never truly non-Lupin. You always find something that feels true to the characters. And now we got Jigen, who's the perfect character of that kind of story. And to me, it's kind of his Cagliostro, but he does it in his style because, you know, we still have uh, that criminal with a heart of gold that's, you know, saving a girl from loss of innocence and from the corruption of uh, powerful villains. But in the underworld, in a very seedy, almost, you know, um, fatalistic, they are all broken, those characters, you know, they're all all trying to make ends meet, and we have the ground level, you know, with Chiharu, which is indeed the best character, I love her, 
And as a Swiss man from La Chaux-de-Fonds, I feel represented to have a watchmaker in the Lupin franchise. <laughs> oh, oh my God, Guillaume, I'm sorry. I have to stop you right there because I Please literally do. thought I thought of you when <laughs> you know they were talking about Chiaru and her making watches. And it's like, especially when, oh the God, the mullet guy um, <laughs> was talking um, to Jigen about her history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally what watchmakers are going through right now. Like, Full disclosure, where Guillaume lives, it's very much an industrial town, but it was founded on uh, watchmaking. It was like the hub Indeed. of Swiss watchmaking. But you could totally tell what modern times is starting to affect that industry. And so when they mentioned it about Chiaru, I was like, oh, yeah, I know. I just got back from the watchmaking <laughs> capital of Switzerland. I know this shit. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Guillaume. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's very true. And, you know, you have that, you know, feeling of castes you also have that feeling of the difficulty of succession even in crime dynasties. You know, they're Mm. all on edge. They all want more power. They all want to play with this new drug. Uh, The old boss who was a cruel man is dead. And it's clear that this world is getting slightly more feminine, more womanly, there are more women in power, but they are still shackled by the pains of the past, the pain of being exploited. And you have those children who are the result of that cycle of abuse that Jigen, as, you know, kind of a foreign element, is able to, at least during, you know, the time of the movie, break and, you know, free this world who looks like Freddy Krueger's wet dream because it's all boiler rooms. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry, you know, again, um, f- full disclosure, I got distracted by one um, sign, you know, like kind of a store sign when Jigen goes into town for the last hurrah. You have two male, um, you know, signs, you know, them, you know, monkey punch reference kind of, mm-hmm. and they are intertwined with uh, a bit of a kiss logo and it says, stimulate your curiosity. And I love that. Um, nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the feeling that, yes, it's all seedy, it's all criminal, it's very Hong Kong in its worst days or, or any, you know, big capital where people take refuge from the real world. But they're all prisoners, they're all broken, they're all trying to make ends meet. And that's how they justify the medium, you know, live action. They've finally given some new dimension to Jigen. I see what you did there. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, well I, done. Good. I was yeah. going to say, really? 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 Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. We're not above that, you know. No, um, no, I know. No, I know. <laughs> Chris would be proud. God rest his soul. It, he's so alive! Chris, wherever you are, I hope you're having a good time. No, um... She's looking down on us, smiling. <laughs> Just somewhere high up. He's I mean, he's a, God. Exactly. He, he's God. Yeah, from he. all the li- yeah, from all the liquor. <laughs> oh yeah, but still, um, uh, Tamayama is showing us uh, how nine years make a difference, and being you know in a better movie, because I agree with Natalie that in the 2014 live action movie he had kind of a non role. He he looked good. He had the mannerisms, but he had nothing to chew on. And there, not only has he the best mannerisms, you can feel it's Jigen without feeling too cartoony, without feeling camp. Um, I used to eat like him. I feel a bit self-conscious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, she, she can test. Um, but still, 
yeah, that scene where, you know, he realizes that, you know, he is facing that kid who's been beaten and kidnapped and has grown that terrifying plague that we all suffer survivors guilt and you know abuse victim guilt uh, internalized guilt that so many children have when they facing that kind of situation and he is you know he's about to cry and i was like oh damn i i didn't think i would feel that in you know a lupin related film Mm. Reminding me of the time where, you know, I would be in that kind of situation when I would have to discuss with a child who had a tough time and I had to repress some self-righteous rage and sadness through through that. So don't want to don't want to get too deep, you know, don't worry. Um but yeah, that was that was powerful stuff. And the last thing, because I've been rambling as well, because such great film no such thing as that on this show uh (laughs) indeed two things actually first of all i have to make that shout out at natalie because as you know our fellow co-host is a big opera fan and enthusiast and very knowledgeable and one of the things i that came to my mind when i saw adele in her tower looking over people with the bell oh my god i think i know It reminded me of a similar mechanic in Puccini's last opera, Turando. Yes. <laughs> I just realized it because, like, I did not think, Tur- you know, he knows I'm writing a video essay on Turando because we we had the we had the um, extreme fortunate ability to go see um, a production of Turando at the Puccini Festival at an amphitheater right by Puccini's house. And... That, oh my God, Guillaume will attest, but that production for that opera is fucking amazing. And there's a scene where the ice queen, the ice princess turned out is like on top of this tower and she does this movement to execute the guy who attempted to marry her, but failed. And now that I think about it, I did not <laughs> think at all about Adele in that tower, like turned out, oh my God. <laughs> Fail, fail, failure, Natalie. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. It, it just means that I've got the opera bug now and um, I'm cursed. Good, good. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> and I'm <Wow>. out. <laughs> and to try to attempt at finishing um, my my review because I'm trying to put all my thoughts together, I had kind of a disagreement with a fellow uh, Lupin and anime in general um, enthusiast uh, that I truly respect, but he didn't, he wasn't convinced with the film, thinking that it was, it was just, you know, um, as I told you, kind of a John Wick knockoff, um, barely justifying its Lupin connection. And I'm like, have we, you know, been watching the same franchise again, 50 plus year franchise where it can do everything? And again, mm-hmm. Agliosto structure, very quirky and powerful and freaking scary villain, uh, a la Koike, uh, Shimoji. Even some of the camera work does evoke other um, Lupin stuff. At the same time, it's original. So allow that franchise to make something different from time to time. And one last thing I could say is that those... Uh, live action uh gun fight heavy vod movies that we got for the last 10 years 
usually they fall under two um, trappings. Either they have too much action and you don't care for the characters or the plot, or they have too little action because of budget constraints or lack of talent. Uh, here we have a great fire coordinator, as resident Adele Simp uh, explained. Um, <laughs> mm. Here we have the perfect balance uh, in a crescendo, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts off with uh, that scene that didn't convince me in Poland. This is the fakest Poland I've ever seen. It, it kind of reminded me of Steven Seagal <laughs> direct video DVDs. I'm very sorry. But then uh, we had the other scenes and I was like, I was convinced. And I was like, okay, no fear. I'm in good hands. Um, especially when we finally go to the town. And it's a crescendo. Yeah. And you have that, um, you know, narrative with uh, Jigen's gun. I think I will let Emma talk about that a bit more. But you have that crescendo, that setup, that payoff. And when you get to the big action scene, the big setup, you're satisfied. Mm-hmm. And it works. So to me, wow, I needed that movie. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my God, Jim, you got me with that. And for a second, I thought you were going to mention what reminded you of me was the fact that Jigen was in Mexico. No, I promise. Because <laughs> like, I will admit, I was happy seeing that. I was like, fucking finally, the motherland in Lupin, but with, with a dude with a weird German accent. Why are there so many Germans in Mexico? <laughs> question, question for the philosophers. Or another movie, of course. <laughs> I actually looked up the because uh, I was unfamiliar with the opera, and I, I looked up uh, on on Google just why you were when you mentioned it there, uh, Guillaume, and I can see immediately the reference you're making and that shot, and it's striking. It's really stunning, and it felt like that in the film too. I think partially because of how she was designed as well, like her character design was just fantastic, um, mm. and just you know the, that mm-hmm. tower and everything. It just really, really worked. It was so like there's some really good imagery in the in the film in general. I felt mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just one of them. Like really did a fantastic job with that. Drew can add to this, but like um, one of the Mission Impossible films, I had to watch it for my for my video essay. Um, they referenced Turando in that um, I don't. Which one was it? Rogue Nation, I believe. Rogue Nation, Rogue one of the best set pieces <laughs> in the entire fucking franchise. I agree. <laughs> you mentioned Mission Impossible and Drew and I are like. but um basically um they have so one thing i like to talk about with the video essays coming up with opera is that and and lupon has done this with two operas they've done it with puccini's tosca and with um uh george bizet's carmen in part two um opera is such a beautiful thing to like take elements of in terms of tropes and put it into something with turndo turndo it's very much a thing of like Oh, you have a very powerful female character because it's it's a fairy tale. You can't think of these people as real. You got to think of them as like uh, as a myth, as fairy tale characters. And you have this woman who does not want to marry anybody, has this test, and every time she kills somebody, she's like you know cold and scary. And now that I think about it, Adele just fits that model so perfectly, especially waiting for Jigen and then the culmination of what Maria called the Mexican touchdown of them doing the standoff, which was just so perfect. Mm. And Lincoln turned out how her fall when Prince Caliph a- answers the um, riddles correctly. Um, her, you know, her failure is like she comes down from the steps and she just falls to her knees and she's like, no, I, I don't want to marry you. Adele just falls so gracefully and so peacefully 
down to her death. And it's like, mm. I love it when opera gets mentioned. So, and I did not think of that. And I've been writing about it. Thank you, Guillaume. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right. So, Emma, how did you feel about Jigen Daisuke? Daisuke Jigen. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I was kind of along the same lines as Guillaume and Lee here. I'm feeling very cynical. I actually, truth time, I didn't watch the trailer. Oh. Yeah, I was just like so not like engaged at the moment when it was announced because I was like, focused on a lot of other things at that time, if I'm being honest. So I was like, I like saw like clips of it and stuff. I didn't watch like the entire trailer. Anything that I watched was like maybe like a couple seconds on like Twitter. And like, I kept forgetting that it was coming out. Honestly, <laughs> honestly because honestly, I keep forgetting that it's October uh, 20th. Um, and just, it, it, it went by me. So when it came out and I was out of town, so I couldn't get to it right away and seeing like people's responses to it, I was like, okay. <laughs> but I also take that with a great assault. <laughs> Cause I am chief. Like whenever people like post something, like, especially like their Spotify raps, I am chief judgy. <laughs> so I'm like, well, okay. We'll see about that. Then I watch it. And I feel like that gif of Lady Gaga where she's like, amazing, fantastic, splendid. (laughs) (laughs) That was me after watching this. Um, And I'm very, very, very happy to say that because I think another part of my hesitation with it was because of the 2014 film. Mm. And I'm like, God, man. (laughs) I know the issues that went into that. And stuff and like they were abundant and I get that but Jaws also had a ton of issues with its filming the ship sank the shark never worked Robert Shaw was on the run from the IRS and he was a drunk and it actually is <laughs> one of the best films ever made <laughs> so, I'm like I get it but also at the same time it's just boring so I was like mm, Lupin in live action kind of scary for me but i'm pleased to say that despite my low expectations and maybe that helps my experience um Mm -hmm. i very much enjoyed this i've only been able to watch it the one time uh because again engaged with a lot of other stuff too right now but i still have quite a bit written down here so you guys were like oh i'm sorry i'm rambling i'm not apologizing (laughs) (laughs) never apologize emma (laughs) so some of us just feel self-conscious of how much we talk okay (laughs) not on this show i think i used to (laughs) and then i was like "Mm, no (laughs) especially when it's something like as cool and as fun as this and it's like there's so much to be said for it it's very based in the criminal underworld. And I know a lot of us have brought that up now. And I know Drew is clapping yeah. his hands because he's like, yay. Um, <laughs> that is unfortunately, like we see that so much in part one. And I think a lot of influence comes from part one mm-hmm. um, based on like the, the books that like Drew has been showing me and stuff. Um, and I just don't think that's been happening enough. And like a lot of more like recent Lupin, 
Um, which is fine, but like also, I, I just, especially when it comes to Jigen, he just seems like he's somebody that just kind of fits <laughs> that, um, and he's good at it, so it works for him. And like you can still tell, it's a like Lupin based movie, but it's Jigen centric primarily because it's based in the criminal underworld. And we mentioned before the side characters were very endearing and I actually cared about them. That's, that's a mm-hmm. big, big change. Uh, I thought the same thing about the older woman, her name's escaping me. I, 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 yeah, I true. I was like, this, this old lady dies. I, am- oh, no. <laughs> I was so scared during the bus scene. Like, no, don't tell yeah, me oh, she's die same. in Jesus' yeah, yeah, yeah. arms. And I no, only- she lives. I'm relieved to hear. Yeah, I, I have that. That big sigh of relief. I felt that way about her. Yes. It was mm-hmm. wonderful. I love this watchmaker on the outside, gunmaker on the inside. <laughs> I like that like dual personality. I kind of do that with one of my OCs, like the, the by day, by night type thing. Um, I've always kind of liked that trope. And see it like an old lady, that's just great. <laughs> and then the little shop like keepers all together. Mm-hmm. They like, kind of like act like a little like town where everybody knows each other and which is kind of like frightening, but also endearing. Um, I wrote down that their acceptance of Jigen as her nephew reminded me of that scene from my big fat Greek wedding when like they all pause and then they're like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You, you brought me out. I fucking love those films. It's like my big fat Greek wedding. What? It's literally that in this film, right? Yeah, it you're right. Exact thing. Yeah. 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 I, I, but, uh, but also the Dutch angle at the beginning with that. Can we just? <laughs> Why was there a Dutch angle? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Somewhere Kenneth Branagh just like raised an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> what fish? <laughs> the like, oh, what the, kind of trope did you call it, Natalie? Like the baby and oh no, don't credit me. That was Robbie. Robbie. Uh, ba- badass and baby. The original, the official name from westerns is uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. But oh. but Robbie was like, oh, badass and baby. I'm like, I like badass and baby. Yeah, me too. Um, that is actually alongside, like maybe like one of my top five favorite tropes. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I nice. love that trope, and I think it's done spectacularly well. And I like that Jigen is usually the one that gets like, like saddled with the small child, or the adult in a small child's body. <laughs> Are we talking shit about Lupin now? <laughs> or Conan? Yep, yep. Um. So I like that it happens to Jigen a lot, and. I'll get more into the why as we go in a little more, like I talk more about like Jigen's characterization in this movie, but that trope perfect. Perfect. I love it. I could watch it all day. Um, especially with somebody like Jigen, this, um, movie surprisingly violent and dark. Mm. <laughs> I wrote, True. um, my main content warnings. Again, I don't like Neil trigger warnings either, but like, 
two things I'm going to mention here are like probably like two of the biggest like things that are difficult for me to watch, and that is child abuse. Like, like oh, there's dead children. <laughs> and, yeah, and like like Lee said, they didn't shy away from that, which is like holy shit. And I wrote down later that um, like when you mentioned that, I know at one point Drew and I talked about um, there was like a research project like kickstarter about like researching if a kid dies in like film yep (laughs) this this film which they wrote that book too early yeah wait wait, wait, what what? there's like a research thing about like going into like because you know how like a lot of people like like don't kill the dog and don't kill the kid oh okay okay i was like wait what okay okay because i got super confused it goes in like each chapter of like like bees and stuff well we all know that's my girl right and then like the word the more chapters it goes like the worse it gets into child death that that book is called the sweetest taboo by the way it's, it's a purely like 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 research book. It's a, it's a fascinating project. Drew That's a Sade title. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. That's a complete. I sorry interrupted you because I just remember that Lone Wolf and Cub, the original manga, was pre-published in Weekly Manga Action, just like mm. on the third and around the same mm-hmm. time. So, full circle. Full circle. Yeah, that was the uh, the uh, that what was it, the the Gekika. Uh, I think that's what you call it, that, that genre. The yep. Monkey Punch, Kazuo Kawake were very much parts of that. Uh, yeah, but it's it's so common, not just in Westerns, but also um, a lot of Japanese samurai films that um, are very much their version of Westerns, and that's why you get stuff like how Akira Kurosawa's um, you know, um, Seven Samurai got translated into The Magnificent Seven, so... Symmetry. <laughs> But they those show depictions of child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we won't interrupt you anymore, Emma. Please. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I was like, I thought it was a good segue. <laughs> Certainly was a segue. <laughs> I was like, oh, we're still talking about kids. <laughs> by the way kids let's talk about kids dying by the way dead children anyway uh. <laughs> <laughs> no actually i felt really terrible for the kids and i don't like mm-hmm. watching that and another thing um drug use uh adele scene where you're like she's actively using is extremely uncomfortable Mm-hmm. That was one of the hardest scenes to watch. Maybe that's because of like personal reasons, but also it's just it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I don't and like you know where like the drugs, like the blood is like coming from and stuff, and that adds an extra layer to it. So I guess like those would be like the main things for me to pick out uh in terms of like being difficult to watch. And yeah, it's just really bloody. But the 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 woman that is like basically strung up like Yoko. when Gigi goes in there like that is just, that disturbed me too deeply also I do really need to read that book if they come out with it, it sounds very fascinating it does <laughs> so going off of violent um the entire fight scene at the end with the goons had me hooting and hollering the entire time the entire time. I love ridiculous violence. 
like absolutely camp destruction when like Jigen is laying on the guy and the grenade goes off and he like flat yelling. <laughs> yes. Just yes. on my couch like what? <laughs> Do a barrel roll, Jigen, and then you know gets on top of the body. I'm just yelling. Multi-use corpse. Reloading. <laughs> reloading with his foot. Ten out of ten. Oh god. Ten out of ten. I was like. Yeah. <laughs> But I know I recently watched a video or movie uh, called Showdown in Little Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was a showdown in Little Tokyo. Five out of five stars. Exactly. You get what you you get exactly the title in the third act. Like what more can you ask for? And it is completely ridiculous. And after watching that and a couple movies before that, I was like, you know what? I think this is my favorite genre of movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely insane. <laughs> kind of like dumb, violent, like action films that also have like mm-hmm. a good plot line to it. It's probably why I like Mission Impossible movies so much. Yeah. Those movies are crazy as well. But yeah, no, when he like does that barrel, like when he was rolling with that barrel, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of a Turkish movie with Juna Tarkin, Batal Ghazi. Oh God, he, yes. He throws arrows at Christian soldiers because of course the Christians are the enemies in that kind of film. And yes. he does it while protecting himself with the barrel he's in. Mm-hmm. Nice. We got Turkish Jigen. We got uh, yeah. Turkish Jigen, Iranian Jigen. We, we got we got everything. Right. Hung- yeah, so. Hung- Hungarian Adele. Hungarian Adele. <laughs> Adele is uh, like going back to the characters you mentioned. Adele. Uh, oh. uh, great. De- <laughs> my, my way. I think I texted Drew and me. I was like, well, <laughs> I can save her. <laughs> I can fix her. She looks, she looks banging. She says she's like fifty years old. She right. looks fucking banging. Like I'm good. It's all that yeah. blood. All that child blood. <laughs> Elizabeth battery style. Oh, <laughs> I'm biting my tongue. I'll get to my turn. <laughs> uh, Natalie mentioned it, and I said it uh, in a DM. They're great disability rep. Mm. Honestly, you just do not see that. And that was one of the first, like, I didn't really, like, until she rolled in on her wheelchair, I was like, no way. And then they did that whole scene, which was, again, crazy action scene, just, like, blew my mind, hooting and hollering the entire time. And on the fact that she is disabled, I was like, this is spectacular. And like Natalie said, there is no excuse going forward uh, mm. to not uh, use disabled actors in uh, action film. So, yeah, she's awesome. She's so, her outfits are really pretty too. Like the mm. white, like slatchy sweater. I want that myself. The leg is cool. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. really like that. The beauty. Little kid is adorable. Uh, she kind of reminds me of my niece, who's six years old. So I think Oto is probably like six to eight around that age. She looked small, but that could also be like due to the life that she had. I wrote that this movie is proof that the 2014 movie's faults were not with the cast, uh, which was evidently perfect. Um, any doubt that 
that was like an issue, which I'm sure like most people would agree that was not, Mm -hmm. um, would be eradicated with this movie. Um, Jigen's mannerisms are top notch, like down to his cigarette smoking, uh, his eating, but also when the lady in the ramen shop like comes over and like antagonizes him and he like kind of like leans forward on his like leg and like I forget what he says, but it's just very like, why are you like looking? And it's the way like it's just like that subtle lean that he does forward i was Mm -hmm. like i just see jigen doing that at any point and when he is reading what oto wrote and he seems like his hand is shaking and like he's trying to light a cigarette like almost desperately um jigen in this i like manners is perfect but like just his emotions and i think we all agree that jigen is not often recognized as a very emotional character. Um, uh, that's part of the reasons why I think he wears his hat uh, the way he does. It covers his eyes so you can't see. Uh, the eyes through the windows to the soul. Um, I think he's just a very more of a gentle soul than people realize. And I think this movie um, really captures that. And this is going to lead into my probably biggest tangent first of all before i go into my biggest tangent i want to say that this is a good movie for people who have not seen lupin or have seen very little Mm. um and it's funny because y'all mentioned john wick and i think it's because of that that would attract uh people that aren't into the series because those movies fucking rule Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially like an american audience that would attract uh watchers but i think it'd be easy for people who had not seen the series and so my last point, which is going to be kind of a long one. The soundtrack was so good. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. It had like that Lupin, like jazzy feel, obviously. And, but you know what? <laughs> it's a very like outlaw country vibes mm. to it, which I was mm-hmm. like, no! <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for Emma to just bring that up because she's, oh, I love you, Emma, being on your uh, outlaw country tangent. So go yeah. on ahead, girl. <laughs> and but, like, cause I'm sure like I've brought up the idea of going into character analysis analysis um, whatever the, the plural for analysis <laughs> So, like, I mean, I'd probably get more into it then, but I think Jean is a big fan of the outlaw country feel, and, like, I'm glad that this movie kind of had that to it, because I just, like, I think he would definitely like that style. And, I, like, I've heard a lot of people say that, like, oh, you'd be a big fan of, like, Johnny Cash. Uh, duh. Like, who doesn't like Johnny Cash? But I also think he'd be a fan of Monsters. Right. You're like, who doesn't, right? Um, but I also Even think deaf people love of, like, Johnny Cash. Right? <laughs> if you don't like country, or if you say you don't like country, people are like, well, I'll usually like Johnny Cash. Like, <laughs> but I also just think he's a fan of uh, Waylon Jennings. <laughs> and because I'm talking about Jean's characterization here as being like kind of emotional, like more of a softy character behind a facade and tell you like talk about somebody that like really had that image of being like 
like a long hair hat, kind of scary looking, um, but was very gentle around kids, old people, and Big Bird from Sesame Street. Um, <laughs> so I loved that. And that's probably not even like the connection as to why that style of music was used when composing it for this particular movie. But like, it was just something I noticed that had a feel to it and something I've always felt that Jigen would like as a character. And I, I don't know. I just feel that it really speaks to him, uh, like who he is. Um, and I think that's really all I have for mine. But yeah, watch this fucking movie. It's great. Yes. <laughs> um, I concur. I love how Emma brings up the music and I can't help but think because I just got back from Montreal and Guillaume can attest to what I'm about to talk about right here. Um, it's like, yes, Waylon Jennings and Outlaw Country, but within that same vein of like the emotionality and like being actually a big softy and a romantic at heart, Jigen would totally be a fan of Montreal's own Leonard Cohen. So... Oh yeah. Uh, he, oh, yeah. Dr- he he dresses like Leonard Cohen, like the fucking suited fedora. <laughs> like, oh god, sorry. I could I could go on my tangent on Leonard Cohen because that my boy. <laughs> when we get Hallelujah. to the analysis, we gotta go into this deeper. Oh yes. Oh, I love how Guillaume just interjected with the hallelujah, because you know, <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Someone make this AMV with this movie, please. Oh, I would, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that shit. <laughs> and have a copyright strike, but you know, what the hell. <laughs> oh, yeah, TMS will murder you, but hey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I that's know. true. <laughs> oh, now we come to the coup de grace, our fearless leader, Drew. Hey. Please ramble because I want to hear you. I want to hear uh, you simp about our girl, Adele. <laughs> well, before I get to Adele, I need to bring up a. Yeah, something that really stood out to me about her plot line. And I'm, I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid. I saw someone. Well, hey, I had the same thought while watching it and was like, huh? And then I saw someone on Twitter post about it. There is something interesting about uh, the villain's plot in this movie. And that is that um, the villain's plot has a not insignificant connection to the uh i don't know if you're familiar with the QAnon adrenochrome theory oh no fringe uh very fringe right-wing fanatical conspiracy group here in the u.s um basically i'm just going to give you a rundown this is not a thing i expected to talk about when discussing Luke on the third, but hey, here Lots we are. Twist. Uh, oh, no, um, that, you just caught me off guard there, and and, and I realize where you're going, but oh, just wait. So basically, the whole QAnon adrenochrome theme is a new iteration of the anti-Semitic blood libel conspiracy theory that's been going back centuries, in which all the liberal elites, and by elites, I'm saying with big air quotes because elites stands for well, you can you can just imagine like conspiracy theory who is the richest person who are the richest people in the world it's it's horrible it's stupid where liberal elites and politicians traffic children harvest adrenochrome which is a real chemical compound but a completely made up drug and it was a made up drug in hunter s thompson's fear and loathing in las vegas where it said that you have to violently extract it to get it to get it from human blood which is not it's not real it's fiction this is all fiction it's stupid and uh, the whole deal being the more traumatized, well, the, the, the politicians and the liberal elites do a satanic ritual where they 
drink the children's blood. It's, I hate saying this. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the whole deal being that the more traumatized the child is, the more potent the drug will be, which is an exact line of dialogue in this, which the moment they said yeah. that I was like, Oh no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> they're doing it. But, but um, uh, elites in this case basically mean big air quotes them, which, you know, in a conspiracy theories, a, a conspiracy theorist says them, you know what they really mean. See again, my comments about anti-Semitic dog whistles, um, uh, or they or they'll just be blatantly anti-Semitic on their face. It, it's fucking stupid brain fried shit that people actually believe. And I, I don't think for one minute that this Jigen movie is trying to proper propagate the conspiracy theory. I, I don't think the Jigen writer was Q pilled. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut him some slack. Now I think, I'm going to be generous and assume that maybe they caught wind of details about it. Like, you know, Japan, U.S., Game of Telephone. They maybe caught wind about some details and thought, oh, that's interesting for a dark sci-fi subplot. Because this story has none of the anti-Semitic trappings of the theory. It's not some George Soros back deletes. See, again, my comments about anti-Semitism. It's it's a crime boss who was experimented on as a result of like vague war crimes. And now she's like perpetrating that experimentation on more children so she can get money to like try to help their slum. It's really tragic. So no, I don't think that this movie is trying to like be like, Hey, this is just really happening guys. You don't know the fucking they're doing it. I, like, I think it's just like a fun, not, not fun. Hold on a minute. I think it was used as like, you know, dark window dressing for like the sci-fi I don't know. I don't know. What I'm trying to say. I, I don't think they were trying to propagate the theory in any way. Like, and obviously there is a debate on whether or not it was responsible to crib those elements from a fringe conspiracy for a Giga movie. But that's not the discussion I'm here to have. And honestly, I, I don't think it was done with malicious intent at all. And it didn't really bother me. But I, I did see someone on Twitter who mentioned that they could not watch the film with their mother because their mother had completely falling down the conspiracy rabbit hole. And it was a really heartbreaking thread because like I, I listened to a podcast called uh, QAnon, QAnon Anonymous, where these uh, journalists kind of keep track of like, you know, the goings on kind of, it's kind of like a watchdog podcast. And they, they will have these episodes where listeners write in and talk about had like their family, like falling apart because of it. And it reminded me of that. It was just really sad. So if your family is a, completely brain fried and into that stuff. Maybe don't show them this film or don't tell them about it. Keep it away from those people at all costs. Let us have fun. Protect your parents. So anyway, that I, I, I did feel like I wanted to bring that up because the moment they mentioned that line with like, no, the more traumatized they have to be, the more potent it is. I was like, no, <laughs> so no, I have to talk about this on the podcast now. <laughs> Yay. But anyway, that aside, I, I fucking love this movie. It's so good. Oh, man. I, I, like everyone else, I, I, I was apprehensive. I was less apprehensive because I really like the 2014 cast, but still, it's announced, and I was like, wait, what? And the trailer came out, and it was kind of neat. I don't know if anyone saw that first teaser trailer where he's like in the comic panels, and they recreate the shot from the part one opening where he shoots a guy off like a ledge and stuff. Run. It's the second part to OP, you dumbass. But I was just kind of like, okay, that's cool. They're not showing any footage from the movie. That makes me worried. And then the first trailer dropped. And I was on board when that trailer dropped for many, like, just it looked cool. It looked fun. Interesting plot. Um, 
I knew from the moment I saw Adele in the trailer, because this trailer shows a moment of the wheelchair action scene, I knew I was doomed. I, mean, I, I, I think I think I posted in the Discord like everyone. I apologize in advance because um, <laughs> I'm done for. You found uh, your wife. I'll, I'll get to more on that later. He's got but, a lot of waifus. What are you talking about? You are you're wrong. You're wrong. I, I really, boy, all of y'all felt really concise in comparison to what I'm probably about to do. Welcome to the next hour of the podcast. I'm joking, but anyway. <laughs> um, I really liked how simplistic this was overall. The best way to describe it is that you kind of know what's going to happen for the most part. You know what the general beats are going to be. It, there's no huge surprises there. And honestly, I love a movie that can take like have a simple structure, or like a simple formula and tell it in the most engaging way possible. That just makes me. There's a reason why formulas work, because like when you execute them well, it's like it, they just sing. And I, I, I loved how this movie Starts off like the whole thing kicks off. Jigen, his guns not working quite right. And by working by not working quite right, it's like slightly off a little bit during that target practice to Mexico. It's slightly off the mark. And he's like, shit's wrong, <laughs> which kicks off this whole entire sprawling story, which I really liked. I, I loved he's reluctantly drawn back into Japan after what seemingly like a long time. And once you like enter uh, a guy or I believe that roughly translates to Mudfish Town, which is such an awesome name for a town <laughs> and feels like something from, from a Monkey Punch story. You're right. The world building in this, I immediately fell in love. Like the moment he enters Dago Guy, I have the Jigen, uh, it's the pen magazine book or Mook as it's actually officially called. And the set designer, uh, Yoko Sagai, was talking about making uh, Dago Guy and how like, the way they were saying it was that like, it seemed like that's where all the director's passions really went was into that town. They, they worked to make it like super multicultural. They wanted to completely feel like it's not in reality. It's neon drenched. Like you've got this giant bar, but it's also a market. And like, they, they bought all these giant pots and they're like cooking up mysterious stuff. And there's octopus and you got like a red light district that's bustling and they found this location. I think it was like a golf something. I forget exactly what it was, but like those pits where they're fighting are a real location. But they were like, they just happened to come across I'm like, well, this is awesome. I don't know. Like you're drawn to this world and it's like, it's kind of seedy. But at the same time, I, I love the line of dialogue that Jigen has when he shows up. He's like, I heard this was like a pit of villains, but it's not so bad. It's odd. It, it, it's this whole town of outcasts. Like they're described like it was an abandoned development and all the outcasts have gathered there. Everyone's kind of struggling to make ends meet. I, I really love the, the contrast between that and the little shopping town district. Both extremely colorful, like bustling communities. But they both feel like communities, if that makes sense. Like it, it was there was an interesting contrast there. Like you've got the more peaceful shopping area where everyone's got their back. And then you've got Daigil guy, which has like, it seems mostly peaceful. Everyone's got their back, but also people are stabbing other people's backs. I don't know. I, I thought that contrast between the two locations was very interesting and was just a really, really awesome world building. You get like the bustling town of outcast and the Koinobori tower, like 
looming over the city. It's such a cool image. You're just immediately drawn into it. Um, and it's shot beautifully. Like it's a lower budget, but it's so, how is this more colorful than like any given superhero film that comes out now? Like yes. uh, sheer vibrant, like deep colors for both Degyo guy and the, uh, the shopping town. It's just gorgeous to look at. The set design is incredible. Roger Corman would be proud. Indeed. There's a Indeed few shots he would. where the lighting really did strike me, not to, to take away from your... Oh, your go movie. ahead, go ahead. Um, when he's walking up the staircase, as he's going up to the tower, and it's just like striking red light, and mm-hmm. he's aiming his gun and firing, and you just see the <sighs> orange like bouncing off the walls. Looks absolutely stunning. And then that shot almost immediately goes into one where he's fighting uh, the shapeshifter guy. Uh, was it Kawashima? Mm-hmm. Um, when it's blue. It's like, funnily enough, it reminded me a tiny bit of like Blade Runner, like the more recent Blade Runner yeah, film. Yeah. That uses that lighting. Um, absolutely stunning. And yes, I back to your point, I completely agree with you compared to superhero films and sort of like modern kind of standards these days. This really mm-hmm. stand out from them, I think. Uh, well, one, one thing I will give to its detriment in terms of the lighting is um, part of the film, um, not necessarily the blue, the the blue hues when he fights Kawashima, um, Kawashima, but like there's some parts in the Jigen film that unfortunately suffers from a lot of more recent TV shows nowadays where it's just so dark. You feel like you have to up the brightness of your television uh-huh. <laughs> um, in, so, in mm. some scenes, um, especially in that one gunfight um, when he, when he's both outside and inside against um, a lot of the um, army personnel looking guys, the henchmen. I say this because like, um, I get that they're trying to be edgy and, you know, dark and like, oh, my God, look, they're fighting. It's nighttime. And it's like, yeah, well, some of us don't have the great eyesight out there. <laughs> and it's like nah. uh, House of the Dragon did this. And um, even more recently, um, oh, my God, I can't think of this other show. But it's like I read an, I read a Vox article that said, no, it's not your TV. Uh, television move, television is getting darker. And I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I, I will say. I did see some other people mention that that never really stood out to me at all. Granted, I watched this in a completely dark room and I'm very fortunate to have a 4K TV with HDR. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying these were the circumstances I watched it in. Fair. And like good conditions. The the nighttime scenes didn't really stand out. Like they, they seemed like dimly lit. But if you watched in the right conditions, like watch it, like watch it with the lights completely down, watch it at night. It's it doesn't stand out as bad, but if you're watching it like in the daytime, and also like if you do have problems of vision, I completely under, like I completely understand the issues uh, there. But um, let's see, who would I want to talk, touch on next? Let's just get straight to Jigen, the man. Um, the I myth, the legend. The, the note I have here is just Tetsuji Tamayama is Jigen and is in all caps. I think this is a genuinely wonderful performance from him. He's allowed to really settle settle into the character and showcase like Jigen's many facets. He's cool. He's hard boiled. He's a hard boiled badass. But as Chiharu says to him, you know, for like you like, you know, forgot looks like you. You're you're a bit of a romantic. Yeah. Yes. Also, <laughs> he's, he's 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 reluctant, but he's got those dad instincts in there, whether he likes it or not. I, one thing that really endeared me to him in this is the fact that he is consistently getting knocked down a peg about everywhere he goes, which just made me, I don't know, like, like, it's, like he's not perfect. Um, uh, he shows up 
you know, uh, Chiharu tells him, like, you know, she chides him, like, oh, you're not quite the guy I thought you were. You weren't listening to your gun. He's just like, oh, I wasn't. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> uh, him losing the ego game to, um, I forget what the character's name is. It's the guy who sells information. The way that's established is he's like, it's this awesome shot where he, like, sets down this big wad of cash. And he's like, you know, if you win, you get the money. If I win, I get the watch. Cut straight to him going to uh, Chiharu's office. He's like... I try to get a watch. I try to get one of your watches. I failed. <laughs> oh, oh God. Um, also like, you know, Chihadu telling him she's not going to work on his gun. And then when Oto shows up and needs help, you know, he's like, Hey, you know, go, go, go check on Kyoko, Kyoko with her. He's like, I don't want to, I hate kids. And she's like, well, uh, if you don't do it, I won't look at your gun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love him like constantly kind of being thrown off at all times. It, it made me, it made me care for him more. It makes him feel more human. Um, he's calm and collected, but I love when we get to see that stoic facade break a few times in this. I mean, it's already been mentioned the real standout scene when he's at the table with Oto reading. They describe, they talk about this in the book. Um, they mention that when they were talking about that scene, then again, this is roughly Google Translate, but so there's a scene in the movie where Jigen cries, but in an anime, he would never show any tears. However, through discussions with Tamayama san, I started to think that it was okay to cry. Um, that's a, that's a Hashimoto, the director talking, by the way. And th- there's a lot of talk in that book about how, like they really, really worked hard to come up with a version of Jigen that you believe in live action. Like, cause they say like you, you like everyone has a version of them in, in their head. Like the entire crew had their own take and everyone came together and like mixed different elements and discussed it, like what they could do, what they couldn't do, uh, down to his costume, by the way. At one point, it's discussed they, the initial costume they made, they said was highly anime accurate, down to like his shoes having like, kind of like his shoes are like oddly kind of like lumpy in the front, like you'd see like in an anime. And they were like, this doesn't work. <laughs> like we, we, we can't. So to their credit, they, 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 like they don't adhere strictly to the anime, like at all. This, this is his own universe down to, down to his costume, down to his mannerisms, down to like his characterization. Anyway, back to the point I was actually making the scene with, uh, with Oto and the one that got me, I mean, that scene got me, but the one that got me the most is right before the big uh, fight happens, you know, the big third act showdown. And he's pretty much telling Chiharu that he's going to go and get her. There's a moment when he like, she's like trying to like, you know, to warn him and he looks up and he's like, his eyes are welling up. His eyes are glassy. So like, don't you want to hear what, you know, don't you want to hear when she laughs and that trying to compose myself a bit here talking about it because that fucking destroyed me. It's such a fantastic performance. It's effortless. And like, I would love to see him keep playing this character like keep keep at it man and also again another when the facade breaks at the end when his rage kind of erupts at adele during the uh showdown again man he he's so good i guess i mentioned adele so i should probably talk about adele now look listen listen i know she's making drugs out of children I know a lot of children are dead and she's kidnapping orphans and it's horrible. And she's tragically perpetrating a cycle of abuse and leaving many dead children in her wake. Hear me out. (laughs) This is all on record, Drew. 
We're all listening, Drew. We're, we're all aware listening. I can fix her. <laughs> Just saying. I can. And when I say I can fix her, I do not mean that in an ableist way. I want to make this well aware. She rocks that wheelchair. It rules. It's awesome. Representation. I love it. At one point, she like spins that thing on fucking one wheel with like the gun sideways, just takes out a bunch of dudes. Huh. Um, <laughs> she she could she could backflip that wheelchair, shoot me directly in the heart, and my final words would be thank you. Um, <laughs> Go is, sa- go, go is the same way she does, just that smile and then I was like, thank you. Oh, yes. Exactly. That would be me. My final moments. Um, again, I'm, a, I'm aware of the dead children, all right? But look, <laughs> she's my wife and I'll, I'll try. I can explain. <laughs> There's not nothing wrong and I love you. No, like, I don't judge you because 12-year-old Natalie really loved the anime Elon Musk, which is Seto Kaiba. I can fix him, okay? <laughs> All I'm saying is I'm sympathetic to Adele's plight, and I really put the simp in sympathetic. All right, so let's just... Bravo, bravo. Let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> anyway, in all seriousness, apart from her, anyway, her character is such a wonderful villain. Again, you're not like you're not rooting for her, but you feel bad for her, especially as like it goes on. You realize like she, I, she's she's. Per- I think you're rooting for her. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, Emma, jo- jokes jokes aside, Drew. Um, I want you to continue because like. I kind of feel the same way because, yes, she's killed children, but a part of it, and she is a cold-blooded murderer. She talks outright about her first murder and and the glee within it, but Mm -hmm. a part of me, and it's not because I think she's a she's hot or anything she is but a part oh. of me can't help but feel fascinated with that be- and mm-hmm. what motivates her and 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 real quick it's just very much we get a lot of villains in the lupon universe where we don't get a lot of motivation they're just there they're evil boom we don't care they're dead mm-hmm, bye mm-hmm. this really changes the lupon formula of villains this one has a sympathetic backstory. She's fucked up and handicapped because of her childhood. But even more so that makes her compelling, despite the fact that she is, she's a monster. So oh, yeah, no, yeah. please, please elaborate. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, with her like backstory. And again, the, the supporting characters and villains, as you mentioned, are a thing this franchise struggles with. <laughs> I think that's, that's well established. Um, and I'm glad that Guillaume, Guillaume, you actually you literally mentioned a note I have here. Like the, the 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 theme I did not expect in this movie is the cycle of abuse, which was like really powerful, and Adele being very much a factor of that. Like again, she she's she's obviously evil and like you know a monster as mentioned, but like you feel bad for her. and like that moment at the end. God, she has that line of dialogue. When Jigen like shows down, she's like, if you would have showed up back then for me there, would things have been different or would they have been the same? Let's find out. And when she gets shot, the shot's kind of awkward because like her hair's not moving a lot. But at the same time, it has like this oddly surreal quality to it. And I know that's me making excuses for a weird effect, but hey, um, that moment when like when when she 
when when she dies and just has that smile on her face and it is like there, there's so many things like it, it she's d- smiling because like she's been put out of like her misery out of like you know what she's gone through what she's perpetrated what perpetrated but also like the fact that she knows that Oto is not going to have the same outcome she did again you watch this movie and you're like god like she's fucking evil but then when she dies you're like since she's not like she's still not inhuman there's still humanity left in there which i I really like that also with kawashima like characterization wise like him and his relationship with ruri was a little underdeveloped and i don't mean that as like a super harsh criticism like there could have been a little more but the fact that it was there it like he could just be a like a, a cool goon whose face changes a lot he has like a knife and everything. He's cowardly and that's his whole thing. But th- the fact that there is just a moment where like you see him and he like he has he has a partner and they just have a moment with like, you know, that the, they're she's tending his wounds and he's telling her like, you know, you shouldn't deal with the perverted clientele. And she's like, well, someone's got to deal with them. Like, you know, they smoke cigarettes as they look out at the night sky. They just take a moment to make everyone human in this, which I thought was a really cool touch. I think that added a lot with Kawashima. I think mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Drew, in that it wasn't really well developed, but I think he he was such a good villain. I really enjoyed the... It's crazy that they cast like nine actors and actresses to play yes. that one. Oh, we're talking about budget and low budget, well, that must have cost them a fair bit for one thing. But also that he says a line as he's, as he's dying towards the end of the film in the, in the face-off where people always found him creepy or he always felt like he was isolated or the odd one out. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just that little, that little glimpse into like why this guy is so fucked up, like mm-hmm. what's happened to him in his past. And it's similar to what you're saying about Adele and all the things that she's been through. She's been abused and stuff herself. It just makes them so much more believable and endearing. Mm-hmm. Even though they are obviously like, he's throwing these knives, like you're saying, he's like, you know, whizzing around the screen. It's ridiculous. It's kind of goofy. But at the same time, you just can't help but enjoy watching them on the screen. Yes. As bad as they are, they nailed that. And uh, with, with Kawashima, both he and Adele feel ripped straight out of a monkey punch panel. Like Adele with her bob cut, and again, just like her whole deal, the leg and everything, and especially Kawashima with his pie cow hair and like the, the long flowing like coat slash cape, which was awesome. And his sunglasses, that is a monkey punch character. That's as close as you can get in live action to a monkey punch character. Down to in this magazine, I have both Hashimoto and uh, Nagase, the actor who plays Kawashima, talked about how Kawashima's ability has no explanation I mean, when I say that, I mean, like, the crew, the people that made it don't have an explanation for it. They Like, their, their reasoning was, like, that That just feels like something straight out of the original work. And when they say they, they mean Monkey Punch's manga, they're like, this character, that ability feels in the spirit of the manga. You would see that guy, and it wouldn't be explained in the manga. There would be a guy whose face shifts. You just have to deal with it. And the fact that they, like, have that, like, element in the movie makes me love it even more. There is a lot of mention in this book. Of part one, specifically uh, the weapons handler, Hikaru Hayakawa, talks about how when he approached Hashimoto, the director, let me make sure I'm reading this. Yeah, yeah the original TV show, part one, was chosen as, as the reference point for reproducing the man with a thousand faces. They're talking about Jigen there, by the way. Um, that, that, it's also true. Almost without hesitation, when I first met the director, I asked him which anime version he had in mind. He said part one. 
down to Jigen's gun, the model of it is the model that was like produced during part one's airing, which like that's another thing I love about this movie is that it has this weirdly timeless feel to it. There are old cars. There's not a cell phone in sight. There's weird tech like uh, Adele's, you know, uh, choker that has the uh, the voice modulator, the voice modulator that looks very technical. But there's still there's no like clear indicator of what year we're in. And that's the most Lupin shit you can imagine. Like, I like Lupin things that are set in modern day. My favorite Lupin thing is where, like, there's just no clear definition where you're at. Well, I say that a lot of Lupin things and stuff is either set in the, like, the, the present. Th- this has a, this has its own unique feel to it. Where, like, I don't know. I haven't quite seen anything like it in the franchise. Because usually the franchise is set, like, in an era and everything reflects that. But this is in this weird mismatch where you don't quite know where you are and that makes it, I don't know, makes it more all the more engaging. Are you saying it's akin to Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. W- wonderful way to put that there. Uh, <laughs> you haven't even seen Napoleon Dynamite! <laughs> Excerpts. Uh, no, what I was trying to say is that what you just said about, you know, it's in, it, in its own timeless bubble it kind of contradicts what I originally written in my article from our good friend Lee here on Lupin Central about Lupin being usually set in its own time uh, with a few exceptions. And I agree that for a live action uh, version and this story, it's good to not really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. L- Lupin's was set in this weird... Um in this weird sphere of time where the seventies just never died. <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, part five Lupin could be in the modern era with social media technology and drones, but yet it's somehow it's still 1975, you know, <laughs> it's the, the, 1975, my heart, baby. Oh, well jokes on you. It, 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 it's 1969 in my heart, honey. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> because, you know, nice. <laughs> um, but now that approach apparently brought some drawbacks on production because the scene at the end with the Fiat, that is the same Fiat from the 2014 live action film that was used. They said it was kept in very good condition, but there is unavoidable things that happen as vehicles like age and you leave them alone. And when they brought the vehicle on the set, it wouldn't start. It looked pristine <laughs> in the film. Like it's just slowly rolling along and it's like, whoa, where did they find this? That is amazing that it's the same Fiat from that film. I, Apparently, not I have that. a feeling somehow that it was the same, but I didn't have any proof. So, wow. Um, I yeah, I had a feeling it was the same, but I also thought unless somebody was actually actually owned it and actually drove it, how is it still running? I mean, cars can run so long as you actually drive them and the, and you mm-hmm. keep up the maintenance. But you know, if you know anything about cars in Hollywood, sometimes cars don't get utilized as often as you'd like, mm-hmm. and you get you know, the common technical problems with any car of like, oh, it's been sitting idle. The engine's not going to start. And it's, mm-hmm. it costs a lot of money to replace an engine. That's why you might as well just buy a new one. <laughs> yep. And, and that's what happened because I brought on set. It wouldn't start. And they scrambled and scrambled. And they got to start. And it, like the way it's a rough translation, but they were like, quick, film it quick, 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 get the shot. <laughs> they're like, they're like, they had to get the shot of it coming in, going through the puddle, get Jig and walk. Like they, they just rushed to film as much as they could of it while it was still running. <laughs> that's filmmaking. It felt rushed. So uh, thank you for answering that question I had because I was like, huh. Because they were all in a state of panic of like this is going <laughs> to shut off at any moment. <laughs> By the way, I'm so glad they did not um, take the the opportunity to uh, show any uh, cameo from any other 
part of the gang, especially Lupin. We see a vaguely red-clad uh, mm-hmm. silhouette uh, at the wheel at the end, and that's all. I really respect that. Yes. I will admit that, like, I kind of freaked out um, as the credits roll and he's waiting, and I'm like, are they going to bring back Shunaguri as um, as Lupin here? And I see the Fiat, and then you just see him come in, and it's very much like a Dizaki shot, like from the yeah. um, from the TV specials of the stillness. And, Postcard and, memory and, in yeah, there, motherfuckers. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I love that. And and then I'm like, oh, okay, good. Not not saying that I didn't like Shun Uguri at all. I did love him. But I felt like for a low-budget film, just to bring him back for just one cameo would make no fucking sense whatsoever, especially when the focus of the film is on our gunmen. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think he put so much effort into It's a shame because although, you know, we're not too hot on the 2014 live action film, Shunaguri put so much effort in back then. And I don't mm-hmm. know what it's like these days for him and what he's doing, but he lost so much weight for that role, I remember. And he really looked the part. It would almost feel like a disservice just to have him there for one <laughs> shot at the end. Yeah, after exactly. After everything yeah. he did. So, yeah, I just want to, I completely agree with you, uh, Natalie. Mm-hmm. Just, it was not needed. Uh, no. It just, it, it worked. Just having that little glimmer of red coming through the window, that was enough. Mm-hmm. It was enough to give you that, like, Leo point me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, um, my only gripe about um, the look of Shunuguri as um, Lupin is they could have, I mean, if you're going to do prosthetics for Jigen's beard, which you can't see here and there, why couldn't they do prosthetics for sideburns? It's Lupin. Hey. There's a chance for there's a chance for redemption in these new prime movies. Let, 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 let's hope. Unexpected let's, let's times. Unexpected yeah, times. That is going to be a weird explanation. Oh, you got sideburns, Lupin, and is this going to be like in SpongeBob SquarePants where they just you know sideburns? Or they could CG them on like in that Henry Cavill whatever it was with his oh. mustache. Oh. They could just they could <laughs> CG the sideburns. Was wasn't that Superman? Yes. yes. They oh, removed the mustache. They, they, they painted off his mustache. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, what's interesting about um, the connection to this in the 2014 film is while they're making this, they do not consider this a continuation of that universe, like officially. And I'm, I'm going to avoid rambling further. So the last thing I will touch on is the action in this film is completely incredible. And, um, he, uh, let me make sure I got his name. Both Kinsuke Sonomura and uh, Hikaru Hayakawa. Um, the, the, the most concise way I can say this is they use real guns on set in this. They had prop guns for cases, but in the case where the guns are firing, they are using gunpowder, which Hay- Hayakawa said that like the way they talked about it, they said like a lot of us on the crew are from the Showa era of production. If you know the Showa era is like, you know, you know, the, I believe it's the 60s to the 70s or around about there or 50s to the 70s. Uh, I'm, it started... Probably starts earlier. I think it's not a bit earlier than the 50s. It started, I think, yeah. in the 30s. And yeah. Actually, the Showa era started in 1926. Okay, yeah. Thank so, you. Dumb white guy here. It's okay. And it <laughs> ended... Basically, because, you know, in Japan, the eras are per emperor. So, yeah, it was... Yeah. Um, Showa, Heisei, Reiwa. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, um, nineteen. I believe, December of 1926 to January 1989. Mm-hmm. My my Japanese history is very rusty. I do apologize. But the way that they talk about it, they're like, a lot of us are from the Showa era of, of film production. They're like, people use a lot of CGI now. And, like, it's easier, it's safer. 
But the, 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 pretty much their whole take was, we want this to feel tactile. They said, like, you know, when, when actors are firing, like, the real weapons, they're like, there's a quality you get. Their face flinches. You see their body react to it. You see the gun smoke physically. Then they said, like, the smell of gun smoke on set gives Lens this atmosphere. He said, Lens an atmosphere of tension, obviously, but also unity because everyone is trying to be as safe as possible and maintaining that safety. So the fact that they were able to be super safe and also have this super old school techniques of using like, you know, the real guns with gunpowder. And uh, they talked about using these uh, these pyrotechnics for all the grenades. So they said it, 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 they produce a flash that does not burn. So they can just blow it up around a ton of actors. That bit where the uh, the where Jigen rolls the corpse onto the grenade was not in the script. They came with that on the day on the set because like we're doing this bit with grenades and they like thought, wait a minute, this is a fun idea. What if they roll it? So they put two metal plates under the actor and then like picked him up and blew it up under him. And again, there is a lot of danger involved with stuff like that. But when you have a crew that maintains like is very strict about maintaining safety, there is nothing like practical stunts and practical pyrotechnics and stuff on set because during that final shootout, they're running around. He's firing the gun. You see the gun smoke flying in the air. It's not CGI. You've got all the uh, the little squibs on the ground, like the dirt and everything. It, it, it feels so tactile and real and gritty. And I, I loved that. It really harkened back to kind of like that part one Showa era Japanese crime movie kind of deal. And uh, the action itself, uh, Sonomura's direction, he talked about how like he wanted to have a lot of action beats so that the viewers wouldn't get bored. So it's not just Jigen running through shooting a bunch of guys, just shooting, shooting, shooting. There's stuff like, obviously, it's already been well mentioned. The barrel roll is a big one. Um, another one being when he gets inside the Konobori Tower, there's so much fun and funny shit that happens. Like, there's moments when he jumps and waits to line his shot up until two guys are standing directly, like, in front of each other, shoots them both through a window. They mentioned how, like, they, they wanted his combat magnum to feel... In, in, in the book, they mentioned this to feel like extra powerful so that it has like all this collateral damage. Like when he gets the, the combat madam, he shoots a guy. That guy gets hit and starts spraying his assault rifle into the other guys around him. And then like he shoots a guy off a balcony and that guy like the force throws him back. He falls and lands on the goons who just arrived at the floor at the bottom. Stuff like him shooting through the wall and just sending a guy flying out of frame is the funniest shit. I love that it gets kind of wacky where like his combat man, it's a 357. It's powerful, but it's not going to send guys flying unless you're in the world of Lupin where it just sends dudes fucking whizzing around and that <laughs> one bit where like he rolls at two guys, knocks them down. When one of them gets up, the other guy shoots under him to try to get Jigen. Jigen jumps over and knocks them both on their side and then shoots through both of them, sending both their bodies like tumbling through. There's so much like creativity in the action scenes. You're never bored at all. And I don't know. I'm going to stop myself from rambling here, but there's there was just something special about the action in this. I, I just don't see a lot of it in big budget stuff. Direct to video action movies have a lot of really, really great stunt work and stuff like this. The John Wick movies in particular, uh, the 80, I think it's 88 forget what the crew's called. It's 88 something. They're a, they're a stunt 
collective. The name is 8711. You dipshit. They are behind the John Wick films, and their bread and butter is direct video action movies. So they bring that that energy to those like big budget John Wick movies. That's why those are so special and so like cool with their action. But it really gave me that vibe to it. Like it, this feels like a direct video action movie, and I mean that in the, as the highest compliment. This this is a dad movie. Like the full stop, like both in, you know, Jigen's characterization and his circumstances. But also, this is a dad movie. You while you sit down with your dad, you're going to watch Jigen blow some, you know, some motherfuckers away. It's the have a great time. Your dad will watch no matter how many times he's seen and it comes on the television and he stands there uh, with like his hands on his shoulders <laughs> like watching it. And then he slowly migrates to the couch. Because yep. yep. <laughs> that, you know, Emma, were you in my, were you in my dad's house yesterday? Because that's literally how it was watching it with him. That's my dad. Anytime he watches John Wick, like any sort of movie along that lines, um, Hunt for Red October. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even need to be at your, your, your dad's house because I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like my dad's one of those like, you know, again, we grew up with my grandfather with all these Westerns, but my dad's very much like, He's a he's a typical dad. Like I had to endure I had to endure all the fucking Expendables movie with the movies with this man. Yeah, oh, like yeah, like it's okay, it's okay. But it's just like uh, I, 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 I was spared that dad. Uh. <laughs> dad, because my dad does listen to us, Daddy. If you're listening, I am so sorry I called you out, but I am not sorry that I showed you the Jigen film because you did love it, and I'm and I'm thankful for that. This man, you know. With my dad, part of the reason why I did love Lupin, aside from the fan of thief tropes and the traveling around the world and the humor, was because growing up with my dad, I used to go to car shows, like Katie's with her dad, but also my dad being the big gun enthusiast, he taught me how to shoot a gun, very American of him, and I just like... I would be watching Lupin the Third on road trips and sometimes in the living room and my dad would come in and would recognize the guns, recognize the cars. And it was it was very much a bonding experience with my dad. So I have very fond memories of part two and my father, just us watching it together. And so when I told him about this film, he kind of got irked. He's like, oh no, not some Lupin shit again. And I'm like, trust me, dad, trust me. And, and did he? So <laughs> I love you, dad. <laughs> and, um, uh- to, to, to finally wrap up my uh, my ramblings, even though I already said they don't, they don't exist on this show, but in my case, they probably do. I, I just loved how it's going to be a weird sentence. I love how much love went into this movie. Even through a rough translation, you see just how much passion is in every single person they interview. Every single one of them mentions how Lupin has been a part of their lives since they were like incredibly young. They all have like key moments. I know uh the uh, the set designer uh, Yoko Sagai talks about how like the ending of Farewell My Beloved Witch always stuck with her, and like that was just like a, a neat little a neat little anecdote. And uh, even Hashimoto mentions that like he's like Lupin the Third is like a generational thing. It's always here. We all know it. And 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 they they wanted to make a unique version of it that honors what's come before in the past, but also does its own thing and like bring it into reality. It meant, that just shines through in every every scene in this movie. This whole thing. There's just so much passion behind it that they knocked it out of the park. I even forgot to mention that uh, Yoko Sagai, the set designer, she mentions that uh, 
like down to uh, Chiharu's watch shop. She interviewed watchmakers. She said her father is like a, a second generation watchmaker himself and lent her uh, like a watchmaking desk, like a vintage one. That's the one Chiharu is using. Wow. It, like th- there's so much attention to detail, like both to make it like feel like a Lupin thing, but also just attention to detail in general. It's obviously a lower budget film, but you see every single dollar of that on the screen. And it was, it all went to just, I don't know what I'm trying to say now. A lot of like passion and love went into this and it just shows. And like, I, I couldn't help but love it. it. It just left me with a huge smile on my face. And also Adele <laughs> is so hot. Anyway, Hello, all I'm saying is, it's her. I'm just saying she, she could run over me with that wheelchair. Anyway. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I know your kinks now, bro. That, that just changes everything. Anyway, before we can shame you and before you finish your rambling, I must add to your uh, appreciation for the detail and the part one homage. Uh, there's a moment where they focus on Jigen's watch. Uh, mm-hmm. which is also oh yeah, of, the Zenith. It's a part the Zenith Diver's watch. Yes, it's a part one thing too. I think he wore the same watch. And Zenith was founded in Switzerland. In Le Loch, where I was born. Mm-hmm. I, oh, nice. I knew that too. Yeah, it's um, it's very much a part. Uh, Tabby Wolf, because I first watched the film in her server. She, you know, she's very, she's very knowledgeable, a very like trivia heavy with um Lupin stuff. She did mention it was a part one one, and I did remember that too. But also, um, because my cousin is such a watch snob, uh, Guillaume knows this because every time I go to Switzerland, my cousin would be like, "Give me my Rolex." I'm like, "You got Rolex money?" I don't but, have um, the money, Danny. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Shut the fuck up, Danny. Um, <laughs> but like. Um, my cousin, we, we were talking about watches and he told me, yeah, Zeniths are Swiss. I'm like, yeah, I know. They're made in La Locke. Like, <laughs> you, you, this ain't my first pony show, bro. But Drew, I really love how you mentioned about the whole creative team and their love for the series. And it's um, and it's and it was just intangent with what I said about my love and appreciation with Lupin as a kid. But the big difference... The big difference between me and anybody in Japan is that Lupin is very much a part of the um, popular zeitgeist in Japan. Mm. It's very much like how a lot of us American kids grew up on Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, anything Hanna-Barbera, essentially, that um, or SpongeBob, for millennials, SpongeBob, and how it's just very integral to our upbringing and our childhood that, like, like with SpongeBob, once when the musical got created, a lot of the creative teams were people who grew up with it. And when you watch the musical, it's very much a love letter to Steven Hillenburg, the late creator. So it wouldn't surprise me, as popular in the zeitgeist that, Lu- that Lupin is, that probably every Japanese kid grew up watching, whether it was part one, part two, whatever, that this would have, th- the way that this the crew just gets together and is like, oh yeah, I like this about Lupin. Let's add this. Or yeah, I like this about Lupin. Let's add this. If only the 2014 film could have done that. The 2014 film suffered from too small of a kitchen, too many cooks. This is actually a big enough kitchen and the cooks are in a restaurant and they knew how to like <laughs> talk to one another like proper line motherfucking cooks. They knew <laughs> the old man's recipe. Indeed. Oh, that was so sweet, but we didn't even mention the monkey punch yeah, photo. That's, that's how I was going to end my point. You want to yeah. talk about the love for this? Yes, we probably all of us freaked out seeing the monkey punch portrait, but this is what I wanted to clarify. As 
if you grew up with this and you loved it and the creator of this of this franchise passed away like what now four years before you started mm -hmm. this how can you make like it, with the stanley thing how can you make an homage to a dead man if the dead man's already and if the damn man can't be there and, and i just love this whole thing of like do you like my grand do you like this recipe it's from my family it's my old <laughs> man's recipe and you just see tetsuji tamayama like just you know mm -hmm. toasting to the creator that is how i feel not just with with the creation of it how the crew said monkey punch this is how we honor you mm -hmm. so they even flipped it around though they had that really nice sincere moment and then later on in the film when the bar's getting shot up it's just such a like I feel like that is very Monkey Punch itself. Mm -hmm. That little very gag, true. especially at his own expense. Like, I think he probably, <laughs> safe to say, would have probably loved that. Uh, I mean, he oh, yeah. self-inserted a lot to him. Um, we were, we were. I was rethinking of my one of my <laughs> shitty, my favorite shitty manga chapters of the the vampire story, and how Jigen's like, really, vampire farts. This is what Monkey Punch comes up with. <laughs> ah, the classic. Yes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and now, as we're winding down, uh, obviously we're we're down a man today, and I'm. Uh, there is a comment from Chris, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, that I will read in his stead. Uh, and it goes as follows. <clears throat> yeah, that movie was awesome. <laughs> Which is a very Chris Godby response. This is, yeah, that movie is awesome. Also, thoughts from my mom as we watched the movie together. The actor oh. playing Jigen's really good looking. Oh, that's yeah. cute. I always thought Go Mom was my favorite, but I don't think so anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, Mama Godby. Yeah, get it, Donna. <laughs> and also another moment of silence for our co-host, Chris, who could, unfortunately is no longer with us. Um, he, he is with today, the gods. He's not dead. <laughs> he will come back after three days. Have some faith. <gasps> I mean, his name is Chris. Is so. it because he looks like Jesus? Oh, Chris my God. God be. Be God, Chris. Chris, hey, Bob. I'm rambling. Spoilers, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, for those who haven't, you know, read the Second Testament, I apologize. Eh? Spoiler tags. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Oh God. Someone all up. I, I, I think, I think it's safe to say we all kind of enjoyed this movie. Yeah. A little bit, respectively. We had a good time. You know, it's all right. It's pretty good. I think it's it's you were saying about how passionate the the sort of crew were, and obviously we're also super passionate about this franchise. And you guys doing the show and watching back through all the older material and everything new when it comes out, and it's like I think it really does show how passionate they were. The fact we all come away loving it, we're all noticing yes. those little details. Like that's their work, and that's them doing an absolutely bang up job at it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is it is a hundred percent worth checking out. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sideburns and cigarettes and Lupin Central. Highly, yeah, highly recommend. Yes. Although you would have to give some money to Jeffrey Bezos, which is uh, the only downside. <laughs> I think that's yeah. um, I think that's my major gripe with the Amazon releases. That like it's, I mean, the monkey's paw. Yeah, like yeah, I'm not, I have Amazon Prime. I have an Amazon. I I have the Amazon Chase credit card. Like I hate that. A lot of my convenience is because of Jeff motherfucking Bezos. But like um. I, I I think to finalize, one thing that is going to start happening 
at least in the next couple of years, especially with, you know, the recent strikes and whatnot, um, streaming companies are just taking over. And it's not going to surprise me that, yeah, Amazon got a hold of two Lupin properties now that they produce and are on their streaming services. It will not surprise me further down the road if we get a Netflix release of Lupin the, of a Lupin the Third project because, you know, Netflix is also big in Japan. So I don't want it, but I, hope not. <laughs> I know, but you know, it's, oh God, I, I hate that. I might have to speak. I probably spoke that into existence, no. <laughs> like, like I did the resignation of Liz Truss, but we have a history of, of that, you know, our show has power over fate. <laughs> That's true. We did some in Lupin Zero. We did. We did. But no, I, I mean when I say that like it may happen just because right now streaming companies are the norm. The days of the days of cable television are at are at an end, you guys. Let's let's be real. Yeah, and look at the success of One Piece, like we mentioned earlier as mm -hmm. well. Like, that's done very well for Netflix. I will say, if they do an ad adaptation, please, please, please do not call it Lupin Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, because the <laughs> yeah. algorithm and that show on Netflix right now is just doing my head in. Every oh, yes. I need to Google anything to do with Lupin. It's like, we've had a Lupin Part 3 since 1985. You search Lupin Part 3 or whatever in, in Google now, and it's all yep. the new show. The show's great. It's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's excellent. But, oh, dear. It's just Why didn't they call it chapter or volume? Yes. Anything. Literally anything, anything else. <laughs> I was joking earlier how we think it all is good. We all think this movie fucking rules. It's oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Watch it. Is this... The best Lupin live action entry because I really, really like Strange Psychokinetic Strategy, but they're two yeah. very different things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, talk I, about. Sorry, I interrupted you. Please do. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I completely agree with you. Like, they are very different beasts. Strange Psychokinetic Strategy is one of those films you put on in an afternoon as a sort of a weird curio and end up thinking, this is genuinely actually really funny. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I personally, I would probably rate this as the more recommendable film. Mm -hmm. And I think that matters a lot more in this day and age as people trying to yeah. get into Lupin and the fact it's readily available. So for me, I would probably say it is the top so far. Mm -hmm. so, sorry, Guillaume, you continue, mate. <laughs> Honestly, I feel bad because that's exactly the same thing. I was about to say the, the only difference is <laughs> I agree. Also, I was going to say the same thing too. So beautiful, <laughs> the same way, no, the only thing I could add is that you watch psychokinetic strategy. Sorry, strange psychokinetic strategy, and then you flash forward to Jig and Daisuke, and you realize, wow, that's what fifty plus years of content and history and uh, technology and so on do. And it's wonderful that we have those two extremes, those two polar <laughs> opposites under the same franchise's umbrella. I think since it's like a standalone film focusing on one member of the gang, it's hard for me to recommend it as the essence of Lupin. Mm-hmm. But as you said, the, the Showa um, team, uh, their love infusing every moment of that film. Yeah, I think it's the better produced movie out of the free live action ones, honestly. Um, I can't have an opinion on this, mainly because um, this was very unexpected, but I'm saving watching Strange Psychokinetic Strategy for the podcast because like... Um, 
TLDR, there was a DVD release in the 2000s, but I never bothered to buy it because at the time I was like, eh, I didn't, I didn't really want to bother with the live action adaptation. And now it's like, oh, I, I hear things about it. It's like, I should watch it. But now with the podcast, it's like, wouldn't it be cool for someone who had never seen it, who is a huge Lupin fan, to give their opinion as like a new watch. So I'm saving it for that. However, comma... I will say, as someone who's watched a lot of Lupin-esque films like Hudson Hawk and Red Red Notice and Mission Impossible films, you want the Lupin essence, watch those. However, with Lupin, aside from the Jigen Daisuke film, um, Guillaume, you're going to love me for this, but um, please watch Bassette. Like, yes. It is, please watch this Italian fan-made film, live action, of, of the Lupin gang. Um, <laughs> Italy... Um, you know, my people, I'm a quarter Sicilian on my dad's side. They love Lupin. And this very meta fan film um, is literally, it's, it's a love letter from a country that really loves Lupin to not just the Lupin franchise, but to fandom itself. Mm. So do you, if you want to catch the essence of, a, of what Lupin could be and what can be um, with the nitty gritty, the Jigen Daisuke film. If you if you want to fall asleep and maybe uh, you're curious, watch the 2014 film. But it, it is mel- it is melatonin. I had to dr- I had to drink a Vietnamese coffee just to endure that because I ran I, out of Cuban cafecito. <laughs> I completely phased out of reality about halfway through. I was writing what also in between. <laughs> I watched the film at 1.5 speed for the entire last hour. That still didn't help. Emma, what's your thoughts? Best live action Lupin of all time, ever greatest thing in the world. I was going to say, yeah, until Guillaume brought up that it's just Jigen. And I was like, oh, True. yeah, that is a good point. Uh, it, it's slim picking so far. <laughs> Get the coolest character from the bunch and just watch it. Like I think, like I said, I think it's probably the best. Like if you don't have a whole lot of knowledge of the series, mm-hmm. for sure. But then it's the easiest that way. Good way to dip someone's toe in. Yeah, and definitely like the best. Like also, like Gion said produced. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the one from the nineteen seventies is definitely probably like the strongest in terms of like as a Lupin film. Yeah, it's like really capturing that monkey punch tone. Yeah, we're just not even acknowledged the 2014 one. Honestly, I'm tired enough as it is right now. <laughs> You've got 1973, I believe, or 74. I forget the exact year 74. it came out. 74. 70, 74, and you have 2023, and there's like a little faint blip in 2014, but you don't have to look at that. Um, Guillaume, when did Bassette come out? I do not remember. Uh, it's early 2000s. I think it was around 2004. Okay, yeah, and it shows like it's oh god, the, the it, it's it's an endearing love letter, but the production values on that was literally I feel like they only made that they made that film on a budget of maybe ten euros. I love <laughs> from the early two thousands. Yeah, but <laughs> the budget on the film must have been ten euros. <laughs> possible too. I forgot about that. I was wondering what you meant. Film ever. Yeah. <laughs> We've all seen it. It's one of those things that we, you, you just come across it as a Lupin mm-hmm. fan on the internet, don't you? Mm-hmm. It's just like, you just find it. And uh, yeah, A for effort. Absolutely. Uh, when it came out. But yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. I forgot about that. I'm excited for our listeners to have like, kind of like a core memory unlocked when it's mentioned. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. 
I remember so that's Basotti. how I feel about it. I'm not sure if I would say it's best like Lupin live action film, <laughs> but I would say it's the best live action film. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. That point. So as we're wrapping up, I just want to give a gigantic thank you to Lee for a taking time out of your very busy schedule to uh, join us to ramble about Jigen. And also, as always, I mean, just a big thanks for Lupin Central in general. That That is, uh-huh. the work you do there is fantastic. And that, that's like a cornerstone of the Lupin fandom as far as I'm concerned. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Drew. I really appreciate that. And it's not just me, obviously. Like, there's some fantastic articles on there from the likes of Guillaume here and so many others. Tabby and Chris, rest his soul. Uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> He's going to be so pissed at us at some point. That's the most of him shaking his head you know, throughout this whole thing. Um, no, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And like I say, I do, I, I love coming on here and chatting to you all. And it really does make me, you know, it reinvigorates the excitement that I have for this series. When A, when I watch something like that Jigen film, and B, when I can just sort of gush about it with like-minded people like you all. And uh, yeah, I really need that sometimes, like after doing the site for over 10 years now, which is mad to me. Like, it's absolutely crazy. I'm so old. Uh, it's just that thing <laughs> of like, you know, I, see, I, I just sometimes you need that little bit of a pick me up. And uh, yeah, this really does help. So yeah, absolute pleasure. You don't look a day over 23. Stop it. <laughs> oh, Natalie, come on now. <laughs> Take the compliment. I feel, I, I feel a bit older than that. Let's just say that. Uh, I feel it, bro. I feel it. (laughs) I do love doing it, though, still, and I will continue to do so. As much as social media has been doing my head in for the past year or so and sort of Mm. breaking away from that a little bit, my heart lies with that website and, you know, uploading stuff on there, and I'll definitely continue it on many years to come. Ah, man. That makes me happy. Yeah. And uh, I know you just mentioned how social media is doing your head in, but where can we find you on (laughs) social media? (laughs) Oh, God. Do you know what? I got an invite to, I got asked the other day, do you want an invite to Blue Sky? And I just thought, I don't know if I can do it anymore. I sort of was like, (laughs) no, I politely declined and was like, I can't do another. I can't. I did threads and then got, you know, lost a little bit of interest in that. But I'd say if you want to find me and the website, just head on over to lupancentral.com. You'll find some amazing guest articles there, some news stuff. Obviously, listen to this podcast on the website as well, which is fantastic. I love that. Uh, thank, thank you, you by the way. That. No, no, it's, you know, I say it's my pleasure. Um, but we're also on Instagram as well at Lupin Central, and I think we're on Facebook and Tumblr, Kofi, and a couple of others. But yeah, just head on over to the website. Uh, that's the best place to go, I would say. Very nice, very nice. And Natalie, where can we find you? Um, well, if you could still find me on that shit app of a t- of Twitter, um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend following me right now because a lot of my reposts have been with what's going on in the world. And I just don't want, I'm tired of DMs floating me about my opinions on things. So yeah, I'm not going to post it right now. But if you're curious, Cap Lee Helsing, Instagram, I'm more active on there on Instagram stories at Captain spelled out Lee Helsing. And yes, I do have blue sky, but I haven't really followed. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm not inclined. I, I'm very less inclined to post things on social media. My domain is going to come up pretty soon. I will start doing my, I will start, I got to find an editor. That's been a big 
contention right there, but like I will start doing my video essays, not just on operas. I may talk some Lupin storytelling stuff and maybe history. I kind of want to rope Guillaume to read um, the Battle of Lepato poem by G.K. Chesterton just so I could ramble about one of the best naval naval battles of the 16th century before the advent of submarines. Like that's kind of my obsession right now. And also hopefully one day I can submit a piece for Lupin Central when I can get off my lazy ass. So, and if I do, I'll post about it incessantly. So, uh, yeah. No Fuck pressure, but anytime, Natalie, anytime you are more than welcome. It's either... It'll either be Lupin and Opera, though I want to do it more as a video essay, because now I can talk about Turandot incessantly, but also um, definitely I, want, I, I still have the article of, um, of Arsene Lupin III. I mean, Arsene Lupin. No, Arsene Lupin, not Lupin III, but Arsene Lupin, because the Netflix Lupin series was so well done, and it's like, I got to talk about the Phantom Thief trope as a literature dork, so peace! <laughs> nice. Nice and... Guillaume, where can we find you lurking on the social media? Well, it's October, so you can find me in the dark of the night. Um, hey. More seriously, uh, I will soon uh, stop updating on this shitty app um, owned by that shitty person. Um, I'm talking about Twitter, of course. Do I, do I need to, <laughs> to, to, you know, to, to mention it? But no, you can find me on Blue Sky because, again, I'm a glutton for punishment and I can still have hope uh, as uh, William Babay, B-A-B-E-Y. I'm active on Instagram um, as Guillaume Babay. And I also have a DeviantArt gallery because I, I'm an illustrator and, um, you know, um, a hobbyist uh, artist uh, in my spare time. And if you want to hear some recordings and fun sketches and covers, you can find me uh, at SoundCloud as William Barbie as well. Emma, where are you at? You can find me on Twitter at E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E-227. I'll go down with the ship. I'm not leaving anytime soon. Brave. Brave. Drag me out by my cold, dead hands. <laughs> Everyone will have to deal with my ass. It's like, God, <laughs> let me live another day. And I'm about to make it everyone's problem, including, <laughs> including Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Just imagine mm-hmm. it's just you and Elon at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you know, this guy fucking sucks. And he'll be like, God, this woman is insane it's the mexican <laughs> standoff a la adele and jigen <laughs> you can also find me on blue sky at e-m-m-a-w-o-l-f-e-227.bsky.social uh you can find me on instagram at e-m-w-o-l-f-e-227 i'm starting to come a little bit more active on the stories there um, I like sending reels to my friends, so... <laughs> I love you too, Emma! <laughs> ridiculous reels, so yeah, follow me if you want that. That's a love language right there, boo. I do it to Guillaume and he doesn't like it. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it in silence. <laughs> no, I like I'm like the, the, the friend that like gets a, like a moment break at work and then like said like fun. Yes! Around. Yeah, so sorry about it. <laughs> but that's where you can find me. And Drew, are you are you left? 
Yeah, I'm 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 still also clinging on to the app with just pure malice and spite. And will also be uh, Emma's bravest soldier making uh, Elon Musk's life a living hell. King uh, shit. King <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> Um, uh, you can find me on there at uh, Drew Hunter 15. That's D R E W H U N T E R 1 5. You can also, I'm also on Blue Sky. I don't post there as much. I'm starting to kind of gradually ramp it up a bit more. Also, Drew Hunter 15, you know, dot BSKY dot social for the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, threads, and uh, Blue Sky at Lupin Pod. That's L U P I N P O D. If you want to make it a whole lot easier, you can visit our Beacons page where we you can find every single one of our social medias. That is beacons.ai. That's B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash Lupin Pod. Again, that's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can find all our social media links, our SoundCloud, and officially our Discord server, which is now open. If you want to come hang out with everyone on this podcast and a lot of other really cool people, come on by. And uh, we may be doing a live stream. Should I go ahead and just announce it? Because we're going to do this because I've already started work on it. So it's sometime in November. No definitive date yet. We are going to. Uh, what's the word? It's not we're not putting on a show, but we're going to be streaming us doing our own custom uh, tier maker that is Lupin themed. And it will be all the TV special ladies of the week. Oh, I'm going to have will, so much fun be, with this. We will be doing. A collective rank, which means we're going to bicker at each other about who's going to end up where. This is going to be a master list. So we will draw blood. That? Yeah. Oh, Emma, you and I are just going to have. We're going to have some words there, Boo. Everybody's going to have words with me. I'm just going to be fighting everybody the entire time. <laughs> so you're not going to want to miss that. So if you, if you like to join our Discord before November, because we're going to have a real good time. And of course, we're nearing uh, the holiday season. So, you know, it's already spooky season, but uh, I'm, I can't give it away just yet because I don't know how many people will be joining us precisely. Make of that what you will. But we have some very fun guests in mind for our upcoming third annual holiday special. So keep an eye, keep an eye out for that. And once again, before we wrap up, Lee, thank you again for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and we look forward to having you on whenever whenever there's another Amazon Prime Lupin thing. I'm just kidding. We will have you on sooner than that. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, anytime. I'd love to. It's been a joy. Thank you. So, and also, um, real quick, thank you to both Lee and both Guillaume, because again, I have to mention, they're in Europe and time zones, and they're up late, and oh my goodness, I am so sorry you both are super duper late, but I know you don't care, because we gushed. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Exactly. Pleasure. Not a problem. And again, I, I have to say, we dedicate this entire episode to the memory of our one and only amazing Chris Godby. May, may the man rest, rest in peace. Well. <laughs> rest well. Rest well, good friend. We'll see you again one day. You will be missed. And may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Good night, sweet prince. Amen. And on that note, <laughs> good night, Lupontic folks. We'll see you pretty soon. Night, night. Bye. Bye.